What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 114. Good God, why are we still doing this thing? Apparently, apparently there are still subscribers out there. We thank you all for being the mild pill to slightly satisfy your boredom. Um, now, we are the Armchair Producers, and I am here with the two most important people that make this show what it is. There is the talent, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy. I, I, I lack your sensible jumper, um, but you know we can't we can't all be fashion icons like you. Well, um, you are the talent. I am the fashion. And behind me here, we have got the cute Archimedes. Say the uh, the fluff uh, behind the crown. Yes. Um, <laughs> mm. All right, so let's get straight. We got a full show this week. week. Yeah, yeah, we've had a few things kind of drop and things happen. So we've got our chain movie of the week, which Travis picked last week, following on with Steve Martin from LA Story last week to the David Mamet Spanish Prisoner, which is a rare, not entirely um, unheard of, but rare turn of the serious role for Steve Martin. Um, I will be picking our next movie, and it is one that I have seen a couple of times before, but it's one I've not been back to in a while, so I'm hoping hoping for some, for some fresh new takes going back to it. Um, we had Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead drop on Netflix, and we both watched that, and we'll both be talking about that. Um, may or may not be a return of last week's um, section called Getting the Boots In. Um, uh, Travis has finally watched all the volume two of Love, Sex and Robots again on Netflix. And Travis went to go and see in a packed cinema, which is a bad foreboding considering how we're on teetering on the edge of another lockdown in Melbourne this week. Um, he saw A Quiet Place 2. And I've got a few thoughts on Love and Monsters, another Netflix movie. Well, that much to do, we should just... Yeah, on through and let's let's get right into it, shall we? Um, uh, shall we so, start with a chain movie? It's what we usually do, right? Yeah, yeah. So, The Spanish Prisoner. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, this one. I picked this, this, this synopsis out a little bit sooner because it is slightly better. Um, Joe Ross has developed a process that will make his company a fortune, it will also make whoever has a fortune, uh, it will also make whoever has it whoever has it a fortune. So the details are kept secret and secure. However, the executive uh, the executives of the company seem reluctant to commit to bonuses or royalties for Ross. So he starts looking at his options. He also has a new friend, the wealthy Jimmy Dell, and he is happy to give him advice on the matter. This is a bit of an unusual film. It is, this is a very odd film. Yeah, it's it is a quintessential con movie. The Spanish Prisoner is the name of a particular type of con, um, which I didn't know. I didn't understand why it was called Spanish Prisoner. I had to do a bit of research into that. 
Um, and for those who don't know, essentially it is the mod what well, the, the modern day version of it is the Nigerian email uh, email scams. The, the Nigerian prince who needs to get his money out of yes Nigeria, exactly. and you give them money, but you get a million dollars and exactly yeah, that is this, and I guess it's. It, it kind of sticks true to that. It is a Spanish prisoner con. Um, but it's it's such a strange movie. Now, this is a movie that neither of us have watched before. And I've never even heard of it before. Nor had I. I'd never heard of it. I just came across it in uh, yeah. uh, my research for Steve Martin. And mm. it had a very, well, a reasonably high rating on IMDb. It has a rating of about 7, I think, from memory. Yeah, yep, 7.2. Uh, 7.2 and had a Metacritic score of 70. I'm like, this is very interesting. It's not a comedy. It's a drama, yeah. drama slash mystery thriller. And I'm like, mm. so this isn't Steve Martin doing the normal thing he does. Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. him. And I'm quite a fan of those sort of films that where we take a, um, a well-known comedic actor and and try and see them turn their, their craft mm -hmm. into something a little bit different and even do the same thing that they normally do in their comic films but with a different spin on it to become something more interesting or something different i always yeah. go back to mike punch drunk love with adam sandler yeah he basically plays the same character he always plays yeah. except that the tone of a film and the setting make it a very very different style of character oh yeah um, where or you can go to the other extreme with someone like Robin Williams, who was an exceedingly talented serious uh, actor as well as a serious yeah. comedian in films like obviously Dead Poet Society, um, Good Will Hunting, and for the obscure fans out there like me, uh, uh, Insomnia and uh, One, One Hour, Hour Photo. photo. Oh, they kind of played chilling. a very sinister sort of character in those films. Uh, Jim Carrey's another good example. He's done some wonderful serious work yep. as well. Mm -hmm. um, Steve Carell. Uh, as well, but so I, that's what caught my attention on this one, uh, and then I saw it was directed, written, and directed by David Mamet. Mm -hmm. um, for those who don't know, he's well, this in the '90s was a very well-known writer, rather than well-regarded writer. Yeah, I think he might have been some sort of. I think he wrote plays and screenplays. Yeah, he's a, he was a lot of stage plays and things like that. Very, um, he was quite a toast of town around. Um, the, the kind of the heyday of uh, when Kevin Spacey was the creative director of um, one of the um, the kind of the, one of the world famous theatres in London. Um, they had people like David Mamet, um, uh, Kate Winslet, Ian McKellen. They had uh, Danny Boyle doing things, and they it was a really interesting time. It was kind of new new cinema, and David Mamet was was one of the voices in there, if memory serves. Um, he did make the transition into into cinema pretty mm -hmm. pretty well. He wrote The Untouchables, um, uh, where Glen Gary, Glen Ross, um, yeah. uh, Wag with Dog, amongst others. Um, I kind of remember him doing a lot more than that. But anyway, he's done some very well known uh, films. He has directed twenty films as well. Yeah, even if he is somewhat less well known for those sort of works. And the first thing that really struck me about the Spanish prisoner was it feels very stagey. Yeah, it really it's very, is. It's very wordy. It's, yeah. it's like there's a lot of explaining and not showing. Mm. One of the so, one of the things that made me uh, kind of that felt quite jarring as well as this kind of stage play kind of mentality to to everything about it um, was just tangentially con movies 
it has been a long time since there has been a serious con movie. You think about all the con movies in the last 20 years, and they've all had the comedy twist on them. Every I'm thinking one. the only ones I can think of are Now You See Me films, the, the magic, magician films. But even then, they're, they're light I mean, I mean, in terms of actually con movies of any kind, I mean, I would say most – I'm separating con movies from heist movies. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, and I can't think of too many films about a con job, really, other than those mm. films in the last 10, 15 years. And you're right, they play a, a very lighthearted comedic tone. Yeah. So watching this movie, it kind of – just because of what we've – endured for the last 20 25 years of more comedic flair on the con movie and the heist movie that's partly con movie as well it's it was kind of jarring a little bit. i found jarring about this is the way people talked um mm. now uh, this is like, like i know everyone says man it's a great writer and in his way he is and in a way this is a very well written film mm. um very intelligently written but the people in the film don't talk like real people, no, not no, no real people you've ever met in your life. Like particularly notable was so. Like, let's take a step. We've given a synopsis. Yes, uh, let's meet some of our characters. Yes, uh, Joe Ross <laughs> is the uh, the, uh, the protagonist of a film who has come up with the the process that's going to make the all the money. Project. Yes, the, and uh, he's played by Campbell Scott, who I've never heard of. He, I only know him because he played um, uh, Uncle Ben in the Amazing Spider-Man movies and. I am shocked that I was able to remember that because he is very forgettable. And he's not great in this, but he's fine, I guess. <laughs> uh, George Leaf, he and his friend, or a co and friend and colleague, George Lang, George Lang played by Ricky Jay, who, mm -hmm. you don't, again, you're not going to know that name, but you will know the face. Yep. Uh, he's been in lots of stuffs. Um, and uh, they are in the Caribbean somewhere for a business meeting with important people from a company to mm -hmm. present the process and to explain how much money it's going to make along for the ride is their junior employee i guess don't know if she's an assistant per se but she keeps going on about how she's new yeah uh, and she is susan ritchie played by rebecca pigeon again someone i've never heard of i think she was married to david mamet maybe he sh she shows up in pretty much every one of his projects yeah <laughs> so i think it was his wife and she's not bad and it's not putting it down she was actually fine yeah. in this yeah but I actually say quite good in this, but in particular, as a character, the way she spoke was incredibly jarring. Like she spoke in, you know, almost couplets or something. Like it was like, yeah. like, a Shakespeare, like having a dropping a Shakespearean character into the middle of yeah. a modern film. And like, and you're like, you're very weird. You're very weird. You talk to people in a very weird way, and nobody ever acknowledges it going, that chick's fucking weird. Yeah. Like she, she's essentially kind of their assistant. And she speaks to them in a very odd and almost condescending manner. Uh, or at the same time, she's also kind of flirty with them, uh, especially yeah. um, especially Joe. And in a way, it's like, wow, that's a bit forward. And again, it was the nineties. <laughs> she, yeah, she's, she's a really weird character, and 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 she says stuff to people a lot. And you're like, wow. I mean, if somebody spoke to you like that, you'd be like, what a weirdo. I don't trust her. She. A fucking psychopath like yeah. she stabs voodoo dolls at night with plastic spoons or something um, i love my boss i do <laughs> i will do anything for him 
And it's, you know, in a way, like, I mean, I'm a big fan of dialogue-driven films. Everyone mm. who's a long-term knows my love of film films. It's just a guy talking on a stage and all, you know, Tarantino for his, his wonderful dialogue. But I don't yes. know I'd say he had a thing in the 90s. People would be like, he writes the way people talk. You know, that famous scene yeah. between um, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson in the car from, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the Royale with Cheese conversation. Yep. And that was kind of revolutionary at the time because, like, well, he writes the way people talk. And mm. He's probably kind of gone away with that from out in the last 25 years. But mm. but mammoths like the other end of the spectrum. These guys are the mammothest mammoths that ever mammoths. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> they they are very, very weird. And that, that contributes to that stagey feel. Mm-hmm. 100%. There's almost an element of kind of with um, Rosencrantz and Gilderstone are dead about it. They kind of bizarrely wax lyrically about everyday things and it's like okay this is i i get what you're talking about but it's like you're purposefully trying to sound like five times more intelligent than you actually need to be or are and it just doesn't sound natural at all it's kind of a turn off in many ways it is you're constantly <laughs> being pulled out of a picture to be mm. reminded mm. you're watching what feels like a, a, a film play yeah yeah uh and i think that that leads into um the fact that mammoth isn't i don't think a particularly good director mm. um he's fine he's competent yes he can shoot a film you know yes. but i don't think he could be considered as having any kind of particular visual flair mm. uh, as we will go the opposite later with 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 uh zach snyder um <laughs> someone with a very very definite visual style um but yeah, this um the the actual storyline is rather convoluted, but it is easy enough to follow. And it, mm. it, that's I think one of the strong points of a film is I found it very entertaining, the storyline. Like uh, I I'm gonna put this in the category of I would love to see this remade Agreed. by somebody who's a better filmmaker than Mammoth. Um, yeah. but on um, the story itself you do need to concentrate on or else you are going to lose track of what's going on very quickly. I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like this, this is, this is a movie that my, my curse, my blessing and my curse uh, very much came into is like, okay, I know exactly how all of this is going to run down because that's how these movies run down. Um, but it, even then it was still sort of like, okay, wait, hang on. So that, that means that, and uh, okay, you know what? It's probably best if I just turn off my brain and just let the movie happen. Yeah, I would <laughs> encourage you to do that for most movies. <laughs> I can't help it. Just, 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 just stop thinking and watch the film. Just think, just pretend no. you're Zack Snyder and, and turn your brain off. Um, uh. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's very uh, lots of double crossy kind of things going on, and you know what the fuck? Who is this guy? Who's on what side, and what's going on? Yeah, um, there's there's but, definitely no one that you feel like everyone is painted a shade of grey. Every single person there is like even um, Jim uh, Jim Ross is he's kind of played as this kind of naive guy, but. He seems he's he's 
kind of talked about as being quite intelligent and things and there's little things that always like even the one of the first things that he does that is used as kind of a nail in his coffin so to speak um is him changing his traveler's checks uh, and for for cash and things like that so I'm like oh why did you do that so i'm like oh, i don't know it just seemed like the thing to do it's so like okay there's a weird level of naivete to him or maybe he's trying not to have a paper it, it, does, paper trail. it does date the film a bit because i don't think i ever owned traveler's checks before in my life um i know that they're still a thing i think It'd be pretty rare, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> but I think I know there was sort of a thing. I don't ever have anybody give me travel checks. I can't think of it. I certainly don't recall ever cashing any travels checks or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but, so, yeah. Um, but that dates it. But like, I got no idea. Is that something you would normally do? I was like, why is this guy giving his check? The hotels cash these things? I guess maybe they did. I don't know. It was a difficult one to understand. But it is interesting how, <laughs> and it, I mean, the film sets itself up from the first shot um did you notice the uh, well this isn't a spoiler it's literally the first shot in the film uh he we we pan down uh in an airport oh in the airport in the poster and there's a poster in the airport that says basically you know don't take things on the plane unless you packed it yourself yeah. and that's what sets <laughs> off a whole kit and caboodle here that if you yeah. follow the i mean and it's interesting also that maybe again this states the film a little bit it's from 1997 um that in a post 9-11 world yeah airports are a very different place post 9-11 than they were oh, yeah. in 1997 so you know maybe people just didn't take that advice that seriously back then i mean yeah. terrorism was certainly a thing but maybe not so much in the uh in the united states it wasn't seen yeah. as maybe um as the bigger deal as it became later and maybe they didn't make as much fuss about you packing your own bags and taking shit you didn't pack on it the first thing i thought of though was like so this is the, I guess, the kickoff of a con is mm -hmm. Steve Martin having met Joe in um, uh, Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy Dell, having met uh, Joe in the Caribbean, uh, gives him a package to drop off with his sister in New York when he's heading home. Yeah. And the first thing I'm thinking is like, there's fucking drugs in that. There's going to be drugs or something in the trailer. There's going to be coke or something in that. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and, and then, you know, I mean, Jimmy, and to credit the characters here, they're smart enough to eventually catch on to what we're catching on to and, and actually gets a bit paranoid and, and figures out it's actually a book. Yeah. Um, that I won't go too further because I do not want to spoil it much more than that. Mm. Um, but, again, that was a little bit like, oh, it's a little bit dated, but it was nice that when you sit back and reflect on it at the end, you go, in the very first shot, they told us what not to do. And then the character did it, and then that sets the whole thing off. That is kind of a quintessential staple of con movies. Like, wait, you can ar easily argue that the first Mission Impossible movie is a con movie, and the opening credits of that, where it's the whole so like dun 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 dun, and the fuse just slowly like there's kind of flashes. And if you actually watch those, it is literally the whole movie. It shows you everything, but if you don't catch it because they're flashing through really quickly you just don't see it but when you look back and you look at the opening of mission impossible one you kind of go holy fuck they reveal everyone what wow okay i don't know if that was i wonder if that was deliberate <laughs> that was <laughs> just the way yeah uh what was that was um was that brian de palma it was yeah um it's an underrated film um and the fact that they kill off emilio estevez in the first five minutes i think um yeah <laughs> 
Um, not in a kind way, but no, it was a it was a it was a rough way to go. Mm. Um, one area where I think this film's a bit lacking, and if we did go the remake route, would definitely need some work. Mm. Is I really think a film like this struggles with no action, um, and that's where I think if you did remake it with a let's just say Tom Cruise bought the rights and decided to. Mm. base a the next mission impossible film around it obviously that would be ridiculous but um <laughs> but like this film i feel like a film like this um needs a it would be difficult to pull this kind of film off without at least something exciting happening because there's very little action in this film it's, it's all dialogue and and yeah. back and forthy kind I of think, things i think the it's it's a either or because i i think that you either bring a bit more action into this if you were to remake it or you make the character of jimmy dell far more charismatic because he is straight away instantly he is underplayed at every fucking step every single step is is steve martin working his fucking hardest to not be funny and he comes across as not particularly aggressive or volatile, but he just seems kind of emotionally distracted, distanced all the time. I, and I, I really enjoyed that about this, and I think that I think a Clooney-esque, you know, think Ocean's Eleven, a Danny mm. Ocean type charismatic individual would would probably ruin this story um, in a minute. I like the fact that he's played as a very almost softly spoken understated uh low profile individual because i think i think from a con man's perspective that makes you significantly less suspicious right you know con man is supposed to be like danny ocean you know uh consummate sales people you know uh, yeah loud, gregarious types where this sort of softly spoken you know as i said goes under the radar kind of guy um i mean like why would he be ripping me off he never even really asked me for anything you know I think um, that the, the part of it, the, the equation for that that fails for me is, it, or at least it's never shown as to why these two characters build a, a friendship. There's a, you know. That's, that's a good point. It's it very, very they, quickly brushed over and it's like, okay, they, they, done. I don't, maybe it's just me being paranoid and the fact that I don't trust anybody. Um, <laughs> I don't trust myself. <laughs> Little other people. Um, and you're right, they meet on that there he's um Joe's at the tennis court standing around and Jimmy Dell walks up and goes, Oh, do you like tennis? And starts going how his sister likes tennis and yada yeah. yada. Hey, do you want to go get a drink? And I'll be like, Hey man, you look, you know, I know I'm pretty hot, but I don't swing that way. And, <laughs> I mean, you know, I know no offense, like you know, there's not there's anything wrong with that, but you know, um yeah. that's it, that's the first thing I was thinking. It's like, is he hitting on him? Um, and you're right, it is kind of just like yeah, all right, I'll have a drink with you. And I'm like, you didn't even know this dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. It is a fairly unnatural interaction. And you're right. That could have certainly been mm. the establishment of that relationship could have been done in Especially a stronger way. The, the the first interaction is Jimmy Dell just going, I'll give you a thousand dollars for your camera. Is it like oh, okay, yes, yeah, yeah. That's just creepy. Um, that's weird and strangely threatening. But oh um I don't. I, it, to to me, if someone came up to me and did said that, I would then I would probably go sure thousand dollars, thank you, and I am leaving this country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I have the same thing when I, I I think back to traveling. Remember traveling? 
Um, no, nah, that was that was a thing that that, uh, that previous generations used to do before the bobbies. It, it was something in books. Um, uh, I recall. I remember traveling to. It was in Paris in 2016, and and not uh, a real place. <laughs> it exists only in your books. Um, uh, now for sale on Amazon. It is. Any uh, printed locally, uh, affordable postage. Um, so, so I remember a person I was in Paris with was like, "Was this guy?" And his dog was sitting like at his bench next to the Eiffel Tower, and he started talking to her and struck him. He was really friendly, and the dog was really, you know, cute. And like, and he was like, I'm like, I've got no idea what the play here is, but that guy's a fucking scammer. <laughs> and that guy's totally going to try and rip us off or kill us or cut out a liver and sell it on the black market or something. That's and like, it. I mean, it, they, he was French, let's face it. I mean, <laughs> could very well have happened. It could just anything. be both of those worlds happening at the same time. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I don't know if he was in the end. He didn't ask for anything. I didn't have my wallet or passport lifted. I don't believe the person I was with had their wallet or passport lifted. And I think he just might have been a genuinely friendly person. I mean, I can be forgiven. Right, you find a genuinely friendly person in fucking Paris. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Just Jesus remember, friendly. ladies and gentlemen, he's the Australian, I'm the Englishman. It's coming from the Australian, not the Englishman. The only <laughs> friendly people I met in Paris were Romanian. <laughs> Uh, the rest of them were cunts. Um, but, I mean, you would feel a little bit ripped off if you went to Paris and met only friendly people. It yeah, would be yeah. like, you know, um, like, be like... Very I nice. expect belligerence from my Frenchman. It would be, be like visiting the UK and getting tasty food. It's just not part of the experience, you know? Or good weather. Uh, or good weather. Sunny, what the fuck is up with this? Um, they have it for, like, maybe an hour. A week or two. Um, we month. are off topic and that never happens. <laughs> Um, the so, yeah, there, there's, there's elements about that kind of that interaction that you know, maybe maybe back in those in that time period there wasn't as much of that fear and paranoia of dangerous travelers like make sure you've got travel insurance and things like that and be careful who you talk to and all of that sort of stuff maybe it is just the jaded world that we live in now where that kind of interaction just simply just is alien to us now. I, I don't know. Point. Maybe we are a little bit more sus. And, and like I said, we in the post 9-11 world, airports yeah. are, remember at airports, you used to be able to walk out with someone to the gate and walk the mm. plane take off. You can't do yeah. that anymore, right? No. Like um, you should, once upon a time, you'd be able to kids to be able to go up and visit the cockpit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, never been pushed in the mud and kicked in the head with an iron boot. Jimmy, Jimmy, ever been in a Turkish prison? <laughs> uh, see, that's not the sequel. That's what we want to hear about is, is Airplane 2, not Airplane 1. Yeah. Um, that is a – but if you know what that joke's about, you don't watch often enough. Um, and there is you're right, Airplane I, 2 reference as well. Uh, <laughs> We say it three times. We we summon the person. <laughs> you summon the person, and we'll be talking about the airplane two poster uh, oh, in it. Romania or something. Um, but yes, it's it's you're right. It, and maybe I can't. I'm trying to struggle to put it through my head. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't travel in the '90s, and you know, mm. maybe maybe someone in the audience can give us their opinion if you're old enough to remember what life was like in the '90s. Yeah. Uh, and it's just us, our jaded cynicism. But I think you're right. I think they could have done a stronger job. Of um of um building up that 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 relationship at the start 
you know what film one it makes me think of in parts is the firm and um, the yeah. christian tom cruise film from yeah. the 90s obviously it goes in a very well fairly different direction um but there's some, some similar similarities in yeah, vibe there. There really, there really, really is. Um, and yeah, I think I think that kind of pulls off that that frenemy dynamic kind of thing a little bit better than this movie does. I, I feel like this is trying to take itself so seriously and tell such a specific story that it kind of forgets to be energetic and enjoyable because it's it's not an an easy movie to watch it's not so like violent or psychologically disturbing or traumatic or anything like that but the the way that, as we've talked about already the language that they use the way that they talk the way that it is paced the the relationships that everyone has it all feels like so like that happens there you are here and there is a big fucking 16 inch plexiglass between the two of you and you don't get any chance to really emote and there's not much back and forth of, of emotion and passion or power energy i it's, think that's a good you, you do kind of you, you get like you, you feel like you're watching a film play yes yes um and that's we explain why he hasn't got any um i'm not saying it needs muckle bay explosions i think it needs a bit of action again i'm thinking of a film like the firm where um oh is it that one Archimedes? Archimedes, do you want it? No. <laughs> uh, no. See, with dog TV. Uh, no. maybe. <laughs> um, maybe. If you think about the film like the firm, there isn't really a lot of action. It's a bit of a shootout here and there, I think. From him, a bit of a shootout, the chase at Tom the Cruise end. Runs. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a little bit of action and threat there, like um. You know, there's some threat here in the sense at certain points in time. I won't spoil what happens, but mm. there is some personal threat to, to Joe involved in the situation. But um, it's it could be spiced up a little bit. I mean, I, I think you'd need to get – I don't know if you could go – if you were going to go really dry and sort of take the yeah. Mamertian route and just have, you know, sort of people talking the whole time mm, – it'd be. I think, you'd, I think you're right. You'd really struggle to get through a film of this length uh, a lot of people were struggling to get through a film of his length to, you know, with, with just that. It's an hour 50 minutes. I was sitting here thinking if you could maybe make it a little bit more Knives Outy. Um, yeah, maybe. That did have a funny, weirdly comic tone to it as well. So yeah, it's it, a it, it tone. take itself seriously. Um, I think you can, if you're going to take yourself this seriously, I think the only way you're going to get away with it is some fun action in there as well. Yeah. Which, yeah. I, I didn't, I actually enjoy, I'm, I genuinely enjoyed this film. I enjoyed the, um, the paranoia it, it, it sort of evoked. You think you were just saying some of the characters don't seem paranoid. Um, but I think the film evokes a sense of paranoia. It very so, Kaf yeah. Kafka-esque in parts. Yeah, something like the uh, the trial. Um, if you're if you're a nerd like me and you remember reading Kafka, um, <laughs> I it, like the um the the scenes uh, with, with like the, the interactions with the police as well, where he's just kind of happen, and then it's sort of like it sounds like they're just like going, okay, yes, um, we're filling in a report, and then if, slowly but surely it morphs. It's like, well, why did you do that? And and they're just the the it, it just shifts from this is someone who's uh kind of come to the police as a as an out and out victim of of a con 
and the police start just kind of asking those questions like well why did you do that what, what, what's what's that do you have any proof of this and things like that it's like oh oh they're, they're, it's it's changing it's not victim is that they're now looking at him as a potential uh, as a potential con man and it was i really liked that particular scene i thought that was great i would like to use this as an example do not talk to cops people that's the lesson here. Don't <laughs> talk to cops. Never. I've done nothing wrong and I have nothing to say. I would like a lawyer. That's how you talk to cops. <laughs> here endeth the lesson. I'm not a lawyer. Um, <laughs> but don't talk to cops. Uh, mm. This is a good example. Where I turn it right around on him. They're, they're, not, mm. they're, not, idiot, they're not all idiots, cops. Um, mm. You're right. It's um. I, I liked the sense of like, I didn't really know who was who. Like really right up until the end. Um, there's a lot of double crossing and backstabbing and this person isn't who we think they are. Yeah. Um, but, uh, when it gets to the end, I found it, how did you find it? I thought it was reasonably satisfying if a little bit convenient. Yeah, I thought it was convenient. I feel like if I was to watch it again, I hope that I would spot more like little hints of the end throughout, because I know that there was a comment about, um, about the tourists near the beginning of the movie, but I don't recall actually seeing them on screen. I feel like it was just a passing comment that, uh, that um, what's his name? Uh, fuck. Uh, Ricky Jay's character, George Lang says, um, but I may have also made that up. No, I think you're right. That's like the film as well, Japanese tourists, right? Remember? Yeah, Japanese yeah. tourists in the 80s and 90s were a big sort of like a thing that people talked about. Yeah. Um, and they've kind of gone away now. Like, I mean, you don't notice them anywhere near as much as you did. Good yeah. evening, Miss Foxy B. Hello, um, Foxy B. I think you, you might you missed some seriously sexy fluff action a little yeah. earlier. Yeah, um, it was. He, he's um, got back sure to his trailer for right now, but um, exactly. I think we've, we've we we can't afford any more of him this evening. His, <laughs> his negotiations continue with his agent. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, I, I was here. Like the ending was like, eh, it's like it was okay. And like the idea of well, there are tourists involved. Enough said. Yeah, um, it was a little. I, I really appreciated overall. Um, Steve Martin's performance in this, I thought he was really good. I mean, you have to you, obviously, like you, you found it a, parts of his performance a little bit less convincing mm. um, in in some ways. Like, I have a feeling this he was done exactly what the director wanted him to do. I agree. I agree. And uh, uh, from from what I understand, reading the trivia, um, David Mamet and Steve Martin really worked hard to kind of go, yeah, this is I'm gonna you you want me to play against type to underplay and kind of uh put a little bit of suspicion on what what's actually happening that totally makes sense and it, i think part of the you know me saying oh maybe someone a bit more charismatic steve martin could very easily have done that and i think they purposely chose to not do that i think it was definitely a a, a, a creative choice to turn the volume down on him and mm, have mm. him play maybe you know going for menacing and I don't know if I found him entirely menacing. Towards the end, he certainly came off as a, a little bit that way, um, but not in a way like, again, we're going to something mm. like a one-hour photo, but Robert Williams' character mm. of Psy in that film was fucking menacing at every yeah. single point. So even when he wasn't doing anything menacing, he just came yeah. across as kind of a weirdo. Just the, the look of him and just the, the way that he was just the wrong side of nice. 
it was like, yeah, it was something about it and hits. I mean, yeah. again, to go back to Robin Williams was a fucking genius. Um, yeah. And, and just an incredible actor, no matter what he yeah, was doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'm not sure Martin's quite in the same category uh, myself. Mm, but this, mm. I, I enjoyed it. I think this film probably deserved more of an audience than it got. Um, and as I said, I would, I mean, they won't because they only remake shit that nobody wants to see. Mm-hmm. Like I read today, they're making another Predator film. Oh, I saw um, something about that pop up. Yeah. Ugh. And it sounds fucking awful. Um, as if like the last one wasn't bad enough. And Shane Black wrote and directed it. Uh, yeah. If Shane Black can't get it right, I don't know. Yeah. It's a bit like Ridley Scott. Yeah. You know, if he can't get the Alien franchise right, then it's time to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. Same here with Shane Black on Predator, but this film would be amazing if you you could make a very effective, um, a very effective modern version of this. I feel um, like this this is kind of like the perfect kind of source material and basis material for a relatively upcoming director to kind of go. All right, I had a bit of an indie darling. I'm now going to do something in which um, we can we can get a little bit of a kind of potentially angle it a little bit towards Oscar Basie with some performances by some kind of slightly fallen stars or faded stars, get them into these roles, give them something nice and juicy to do, really make it a bit of a character piece, get a bit of action in there for modern audiences, do it on a relatively low budget. You could have a bit of a sleeper here. Uh, you all know what happens to Indian Dar- indie darling directors now. They get a Marvel mm. film. That is true. That is true. And uh, I feel like we should maybe talk a little bit about the Eternals trailer if you've had a chance to see it. I have. Let's do that next. And But first, I yeah. think, unless you have anything okay. else to say about the Spanish printer, you have the keys. Mm-hmm. I do have the keys. And there were a couple of places that I wanted to go, but availability of them was nil. And... So it, I then decided to go back to, as I teased at the, the top of the movie, um, uh, top of the show, a movie that I haven't gone back to in quite a while, but it is a, a franchise near and dear to my heart. And that is the 2001 Ridley Scott directed Hannibal, written by David Mamet. So this was an interesting movie and book and then this, this the, the 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 next book by uh thomas harris the obviously the infamous hannibal lecter series um since this we have had a few interesting uh iterations of the world of hannibal lecter what with hannibal the tv show we're starring a fantastic mads nicholson as um hannibal lecter we've also got the stan series clarice which kind of follows on from from this in a, in a well it's not not from this but actually from science of the lamps it's still younger clary stung than what we get here with julianne moore gary oldman's in it ray liotta obviously anthony hopkins comes back repeats his uh, role so there's a lot of places for you to go after this but next week we're talking hannibal very good this is the of course um the uh, infamous film where they got most of the cast back, but Jodie Foster didn't want to do it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have seen it as well. It, I agree. It has also there we go. Um, there Foster we go. There's the talent. There's the first yeah, fourth action. Me. Good boy. Yeah, you go. Good boy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Foxy B. Foxy B. Um, um, very good. I, I will look forward to that. I haven't seen it in a long time. I just remember the brain scene. 
Yeah, yeah. There's there's some creepy stuff in there. And have you ever read any of the Hannibal Lecter books? I'm pretty sure I read the book The Science of Lambs was based on. If I don't, I think I remember it was called The Science of Lambs or not. But I did, I did read that one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, I read uh, Red Dragon, fantastic. Um, Science of the Lambs, awesome. Hannibal, better than the movie. Um, but it's the the little changes that they made throughout it is like okay. I can see why they did that, but it didn't work. Um, so it, it was a, an interesting one for me to go back to. And I remember the hubbub pre, uh, like, yeah, the prelude to this movie. It's like Anthony Hopkins is losing himself in the role of uh, Hannibal Lecter and uh, lashing out in public. And it was literally the newspapers were showing screen grabs of him being Hannibal Lecter on set and just going, this is what he's like at home. It's like, mm, you ain't seen nothing yet. You wait until you see some of his weird videos on Twitter. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that they waited 10 years to make it as well, which probably wasn't yeah. uh, wasn't optimal, but um, Immortals. Hmm. My Immortals tip yes. is it will be Marvel's first big flop. Um, <laughs> it, the, it, that said, I've heard some people go, oh, well, Marvel normally put out great trailers, and I'm like, are we talking about the same company? Yeah, um, I really don't agree with that sentiment. I, I think you and I have sort of said on many occasions, we go, well, we said, I think, a few weeks ago about Shang-Chi, we're like, meh. Yeah. Um, a really meh trailer, but they've put out a lot of meh trailers in the past. I remember being super meh about Black Panther and really yeah. enjoying that. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to treasure it too much in the trailer other than to say, mm. I, I am saying it's going to be their first flop because mm. um, I don't, that's what you say every movie. <laughs> Eventually, I'll be right. Um, and but Chloe Zhao, who obviously just won the Best Picture Oscar and Best mm -hmm. Director, I think, for for Nomadland. I didn't like Nomadland all that much. I thought it was boring. Yeah. I thought it was a good-looking, boring movie. Um, mm -hmm. And I absolutely do not see anything in in Nomadland from someone like Chloe Zhao. And I go, uh, okay, a, a superhero film was the next thing you thought she was. Should you be qualified to do? Obviously, a talented director just doesn't make stuff I like. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't. I, I didn't see anything in there that made me think she'd make a compelling superhero film. Mm. Um, unlike, say, the people are comparing it to Guardians of the Galaxy. Unknown people who don't people in the sense of it's a group of characters that nobody's heard of. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the Guardians were completely unknown to people outside comic book circles. James Gunn comes in, makes an incredible movie. All of a sudden, everyone's all about Groot. Um, and he just, he just everything, but like, if you've ever seen or read anything James Gunn had ever done before, then you're like, he's the guy, yeah, for a, a lighthearted, a lighthearted, you know, superhero film with yeah. great music, you know, 100%. Um, but yeah, Coley Zhao and go, I haven't seen her first thing, but I've seen nothing in Nomadland says. This is the kind of person who wants to make a highly entertaining, multi, yeah, huge the cosmology of the MCU. This is who we go to. Yeah, I looked at this trailer, and there's it feels more like a palette taster. Um, it's like it looks quite pretty for what we see, but it's kind of like, oh, isn't it? We we we're, we're going to be telling this centuries spanning story going from the first civilizations of mankind to the modern day and it's like okay so we're seeing stuff right who are these people you don't know where are they from there's a, a floating ship 
so it's like oh they're from space but the movie's called eternal so there's more to it they don't, they don't you don't know who's the bad guy no indication of bad guy and it's like okay this is literally just a teaser trailer whereas when you look at something like gardens of the galaxy the first trailer that came out it was pumping with it with the appropriate music it had some laughs in it the way that it was cut not all of those laughs got the the comedy that they were supposed to or, or the way they played in the movie but um you got much more of a sense of what kind of movie this is whereas this seems the the only theme that i got was like this is a stoic um a conservative thought about the process of, of an eternal being as they land on earth at the very beginning and what just stick around to see what happens <laughs> that's it it's a, bit, it's a bit like the engineers in um in prometheus yeah um it's it's an old one and the other thing that worries me is it looks like there's quite a cast of people i actually haven't bothered looking into it, it was like eight or nine people eight or nine yeah. the eternals are eight or nine people mm. uh or characters and we don't know anything about them at this point in time so they're going to have to tell us everything we need to know in the film yeah, um, and you've and got you got some names in there: um, Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, and Kit Harrington, two of the the, the brothers from uh, Game of Thrones. Just so you know, Travis, uh, Kumail Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry. It's you know there, there's there's a few names in there. So like, okay, there's there's talent attached to this. It's curious to see what they're going to do with it. But I. I but I've heard people say, I tend to agree, it can only go one or two ways here. And one will be either you focus on one or two or two or three of them, yep. your core people, because we need a protagonist group to follow. You can't, mm. you can't, this is not endgame. We don't know yep. who these people are. You can't be giving us stuff that they're all doing because you don't have time for that. Either mm. that, so either there, two or three of them do something and we learn about two or three of them and, and they're interesting and the rest of them are just sort of blank slates who do stuff. Or yep. you try and tell a Justice League type story where you try and introduce everyone at once. Yeah, the thing that actually has just popped into my mind is what this reminds me of is um, the lambasted and generally panned um, Inhumans miniseries. Mm. Do you remember that? That was supposed to be. I like never saw movie. it. I've read. I've yeah. read about it. I heard it was and terrible. Just the the look of it, the look of uh, some of the stills that I'm seeing on IMDb is like, ooh, yeah, they, they, that's got a bit of a bit of a look about it. it it looks like a cross between the first moments of prometheus and the inhumans of oh neither of those are great so i mean <laughs> he's 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 uh a difficult difficult coaster um but i will time will tell obviously i just I, yeah. there's nothing impressive about it. it it looks like it's got a weird tone we don't learn enough about it it'll probably make money people will turn yeah. up because it's marvel well, I didn't think it'll make that much money, though. I mean, it's just a toss-up for me. Which one of these fl flops first? Or maybe both of them flop. Shang-Chi mm. or the Eternals. Uh, neither of them look very good at this stage. I yeah. feel like Shang-Chi's maybe got a little bit more going for it. Um, then, in a sense, it's a fairly standard sort of story. It's just this guy, and he does kung fu. And yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a kung fu movie in Marvel. So far, cool. so Iron Fist. Um, mm. Yeah. Hopefully it's a little better than that. Um, yeah. Whereas this one seems to be telling a significantly more co uh, complex and, and ambitious mm. story. Mm. Yeah. 
All right, let's uh, let's move on, shall we? Mm -hmm. Shall we um, go on to Army of the Dead? It is time to put that sign up. That yeah, we are, yeah. Oh, I at least am going to be sticking the boots in. Get in the boots in. Um, <laughs> you're sticking the boots in, but I'll pay that. Um, but uh, wow. Okay, so this is the new uh, Zack Snyder film. We've been talking a little bit. We talked a little about it uh, last week. Yeah. I liked. I've been looking forward to seeing this for quite some time. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I was excited to see Snyder return to zombie films. I liked. Yep. Dawn of the Dead, okay. Um, yep. I remember loving it when it first came out. I don't know if it's aged all that well. I mean, certainly not compared to the original, but then again, that's fine. It was his first feature, and yep. I still think it's probably one of his better features. He, he did some really interesting and innovative stuff. The running zombie thing was quite new then. Yep. Um, I can't remember if um, 28 Days Later was before or after that. but I will look uh, into it. Um, but it, that was quite an innovation. It was quite quite terrifying at the time, if you like some movies. This film is made for Netflix. Uh, the synopsis is following a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble, venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. Um, and it stars Dave Bautista, of mm -hmm. course, he plays Drax in mm -hmm. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm -hmm. um, and he was in... Blade Runner 2049. It was, it was. Uh, the only other person in here I'm remotely, two other people I'm remotely aware of is Hiroyuki Sonata, who was in Mortal Kombat, which we reviewed a few weeks ago. Yes. Uh, and Tignataro, who I'm only familiar with because she is on Star Trek Discovery, which of course everybody knows what a huge fan I am of that show. Uh, <laughs> but she's quite good in this, in fairness to her. I also uh, knew uh, Theo Rossi, who plays the the security. No, sorry, tell he was in Sons of Anarchy. I did know him. Yeah, and, and also in uh, Luke Cage as well. Uh, yes, now you tell I did recognize him straight away. Yeah. Um, I really liked the idea of this film being basically a crossover between a zombie film and a heist film. That mm -hmm. sounded like a cool idea. Yeah. Vegas sounded like a cool place to set it. What mm -hmm. I was really hoping for here was a movie that kind of evoked some of the fun of a video game called Dead Rising. Yep. Um, I don't know if you ever played Dead Rising. Um, yeah. There's about there's a whole bunch of them. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. I Dead Rising in two particular. If you have if you're looking for a zombie game, Dead Rising two is a lot of fun. Um, but it's a very similar sort of setup for that. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, this film does none of that. So this is a film that sort of goes, uh, you know, Ocean's Eleven, Dawn of the Dead. Let's take out the interesting parts, chuck in some of it, chuck in some shit we ripped off from Aliens, and boom, here's your movie. Yeah. Um, the rip-offs from Alien, Aliens in this film are they are thorough and complete. There are many, yeah. many rip-offs of, of me going, hang on, that's Aliens. Yeah. Um, the, I, the things I liked about this film, uh, the opening credit sequence is great. Um, yeah. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Zombieland. Um, yeah. Um, Zombielands was better, but mm -hmm. this was kind of good. Again, think if you think if you've seen the 2004 uh Dawn of the Dead, where he has sort of a, a montage during the opening credits to that Johnny Cash song When the Man Comes mm -hmm. Around, which yeah. is really nicely done as well, which yeah. basically steps you through the, the, the progression of the zombie apocalypse through the world and mm -hmm. the things falling over, and then we meet Sarah Polly. It's a yep. similar type of thing. We basically here we tell uh, told the story of potential. Dave Batista and some of the other main characters escaping Las Vegas through vignettes or little clips 
yep. of their escape from Las Vegas to a Richard Cheese song. Huge fan of Richard Cheese. That's yep. another thing I liked. Um, and that's how, and that, and that's the, and that's the little Huey to learn a little about their story and about how they got to be out of, mm. got out of Vegas during the initial outbreak. Um, yeah. This is after our, 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 I won't spend too much time on the intro, but we, how we learn about the virus zombie infestation starting. We do see that. Yep. But then we get into the cool part. The cool part being that intro. And I'm like, wow, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yep. Why couldn't you have told us that story? Yep. Um, maybe they will. Apparently they're making prequels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that I liked. The first half of the film was all right. Um, yep. Probably the first third to the first half was all right. It's, Mainly because I was anticipating it was going to get more interesting later on. Yeah. The, when you watch it though you kind of feel it like a train going uphill it it's just come off this nice little gentle hill and it's got got a bit of steam and and then it starts going up it's like oh fuck me it's running out it's running out of steam very quickly and it feels like it. it's like okay you're setting up a lot of stuff here you're setting up a lot of doing some world building here with just these little comments here and there okay you you're not going to really go with that you're not going to go with that you're not going to go with that you're not going to go with that you oh well Okay, the movie ended. This is a two and a oh. half hour movie, by the way, guys. So yeah, two and a half hour zombie film. Um, yep. Which it doesn't uh, do anything with that time. It really doesn't. I, I think this is Snyder's style, though, right? Like he, I, yeah. he's terrible been, with time management. I've been accused. I've been in a few discussions about this on, online mm. since uh, I saw it last Friday, and a lot of people basically just go to "You're a Snyder hater." I am not a Snyder hater. Like I said earlier, I quite liked Dawn of the Dead. I liked, mm -hmm. I thought 300 was all right. I thought Sucker Punch was all right. Um, like we talked Watchmen. at length. We, we, I love The Watchmen. We talked a few weeks ago about how much of, an, of a better film the, the, uh, the director's cut of Justice yeah. League was. It was a much, much better version. It wasn't great, but it was still better. So I know Snyder can do things that are, are good. But just to be clear, uh, Dawn of the Dead, his original, his film from 2004 was hour 41 minutes. It's about an hour less than this. Yeah. And that's probably what this film should have been aiming for, not a lot yeah. more than that, because it slows down to a grind in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I was so, so bored all the way through the second half of the film. I was regularly doing that clicky thing where you go, how much time? Oh, 40 minutes yeah. of this. Uh, even towards the end, like, when we get to what should have been the end, um, and you're like, oh, okay, there's another 17 minutes to go. What the fuck are we doing with that? And they give us a second ending, which sets up for a sequel, which hopefully won't happen, but it looks like it might. Uh, we have a prequel, apparently, already in set to go. Yeah, and there's going to be anime versions and stuff as well. Oh, come on, so, this. Come on in. You, you're um, really earning your keep today, aren't you? Huh? <laughs> well, you don't want it. Okay. Nope. No, this is dog TV here, people. This is dog TV. All right, there you go. You can have it if you want. Um, it's 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 it, the story is terrible, basically. So uh, this was written by Snyder as well. Snyder, and I sort yep. of hinted at this earlier, where <laughs> we had David Mamet, who is a wonderful writer, yeah, uh, and a competent to average director, uh, yep. who doesn't really have any kind of visual flair or style. We have the exact opposite here. Someone mm. with very, very, very visual style and and a lot of flair as a director yeah. um does action scenes pretty well yeah. um i would say very well in the past based yeah. on this film i have to take that back to pretty well 
Yep. Uh, B should not be writing his films. He no. should absolutely not be writing films. He really shouldn't. I mean, you look at um, like the trailer for Batman versus Superman. That was fucking cool. Like the, where, the moment where you see Batman kind of using the grapple hook and hanging on the side, just a visual fucking aesthetic of that single shot. So I'm like, fuck, that's cool. And the Batman fight sequence, it's awesome. It's amazing. He needs someone to write for him. He needs someone to just go, all right, I get your visual style. I will write you a movie. Boom, 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 boom. Here. To go back to it again, Dawn of a Dead was written by James Gunn. Yeah. Now there's a man who can write yeah. and direct. Exactly. Uh, in his sweet spot, I wouldn't give him Hamlet. Um, <laughs> that would be interesting. It'd probably look it like Hamlet really. Hamlet from uh, the, um, the Last Action Hero. Whoever said that was fair. <laughs> <laughs> to be or not to be. Not I to don't be. Watch that. Um, James Gunn would be good at that, but he's a wonderful writer. Uh, he does he does that sort of lighthearted tone very nicely, and that's what it worked out mm. well for him. Yeah. yeah, it was so boring. Um, so we have our Dave Batista escapes from Las Vegas. Uh, Hiroyuki Sonata, he's a billionaire, he's got 200 million dollars in a vault under in a casino in Las Vegas, and he tells him, I need you to put together a crew to go in and get my money out and I'll let you keep $50 million to do whatever you want with it. And I cannot be the only person who was originally thinking, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love I love the premise of that. So like, oh, the insurance company has already paid him out. So now he just wants to go and get more and to like have his cake and eat it. It's like, that's a perfectly awesome reason setup. why. That, that's a great setup. So like, it, sure. it yep. it's, it's, and, it's a bullshit system go for it try it try and, and i enjoyed the the recruitment scenes even though again it's hard to take it seriously after that rick and morty episode um <laughs> but i kind of like the way of it like he started out offering someone 15 million dollars and then going down <laughs> and they kept going down to like offering someone 100 grand or 20 grand or something and i'm like that i like that it was kind of like nine i was thinking that's setting it up right. Like we're setting up yeah. here. Like someone's going to find out later that that guy's getting double his stuff and it's going to be backstabbing and double crossing and, and shenanigans, but they There's do nothing, nothing with it. Yeah. Uh, Tig Nataro, I just want to call out here. She was not in the film originally. Yeah. Um, she was, she her was role working was, against no one. <laughs> she she is another guy. It was some comedian um, who I've never heard of. Chris DeLeo or something was yeah. originally cast in that part and shot his role. But it came out subsequently that he was some kind of weird sex pest. He went around hassling underage girls. Yeah. And so they edited him out, but um Kevin Spacey, all the money in the world style. Yep. Um, by shooting, getting hiring Tignataro, basically shooting all her shit on green screen. And I must say, I didn't read this trivia trivia until afterwards. Mm. And I didn't notice at all. It was very well done. It was, it was really, really well nice. And she was actually added a lot of life in this film. Her recruitment scene was one of the highlights for me. I was laughing I at her. I she agree. was very fu she yeah. was funny. So yeah. these are all early signs, and then they uh then they add in the elements that really start to get boring. So uh yeah. his daughter Dave Batista's daughter works as a volunteer in a in a quarantine or a basically a refugee camp. Yeah. Uh just outside Vegas, because that's exactly where you would keep them. Of course. Uh, right outside <laughs> where the zombies are. Um, and it, it's you know, the safest it, spot for people, <laughs> and that's how they go in. But at the same, they go in through through that camp because there's like a coyote who takes them into the yeah into the uh thing. But at the same time, he's uh, David Batista's daughter, who is um I forget her character actress's name, oh. Ella Purnell, I think plays yeah. her Kate. Purnell, yeah, Kate. Yeah. Uh, her friends have disappeared into the uh into the city to try and rob a, a poker machine or something, and 
and they never came back out. So, oh, my God, she has to go in with Dave Batista and the gang just to get them out and, and I stuff. I did appreciate how they did kind of just write themselves a, just a full stop of, she, this character is coming, full stop. And that was like, well... I can say that I won't go, but I'll just go, and then then you'll be you won't be able to stop me going in if I go in after you. So tough. I'm like, all right, yeah, okay. She was that very annoying. Coming. <laughs> yes, she was. She was. Um, and then we we uh, we do have one of the last cool scenes in the film involves um, Theo Rossi, as you mm. caught that before from our Sons of Anarchy um, and Luke Cage. Uh, the, the creator at the last minute says, oh, we need one more guy. Uh, by the way, we should have put spoilers up here, but trust me, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah. Um, and uh, they bring him, the, uh, him along. He's, he plays a, a guard in the uh, in the refugee camp, and he's a very toxic, noxious character. Mm -hmm. who On we a talk, trip. We, we're like, no, we don't like him. Uh, yeah. And they bring him along. He's like, oh, yeah, no worries. I'll come along for 20 grand or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as they get inside she basically shoots him in the leg and uses him as bait for the zombies. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. That is cool. But it does introduce a plot element that I really didn't like. And I'm curious, what did you think of the zombie hierarchy idea? I, I, I like it as a concept, but I do not feel that it has been done right or particularly well in any movie that has tried to do it. It's like, okay. Um, Sure. Zombie society has continued. They're evolving. I don't really, you know, if that's the storyline you want to tell of something that has come back from the dead and that it can continue to, the society of it can continue to evolve. Sure. I will take that leap. If you, if you tell me a compelling story, but it's never been particularly compelling. And it's always like, okay, so what they, they're working towards the idea where it's just another species on, on the planet. Okay, sure. What? It's it's nah. been done. I mean, George Romero tried it in yeah. uh, Land of the Dead yep. with, I would say, limited success. Yep. It's not That's one fair. of the better dead films from Romero. Yep. Um, it, that's the last one that's even remotely palatable, frankly. Yeah. Um, no, Diary of the Dead was okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. I hated it. I know a lot of zombie people who are people who are fans of zombie movies. Like, oh, I really liked it. I thought it was original and different. I'm like, Ugh. that's one of the things I found about this. Oh, why don't you switch your brain off and enjoy it? I had a good time. I'm like, if this is what takes to satisfy you, then we're in a fucking bad place because yeah. it's terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, I hated the the idea. So we have a an alpha zombies, they call them. Yep. Basically, a king, a king and queen zombie of, mm -hmm. of, of Las Vegas. And the, the king alpha and queen zombies. of zombie land. The king, the king being basically the patient zero who unleashed the yep. virus on the city. Um, and we don't really explain what he is um, or why it is that these ones can function at a level the others can't mm -hmm. and how they somehow control all the other zombies as well. I mean, I guess you don't need to go into detail, but maybe a, yep. a line or two explaining, oh, we think it might be pheromones or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, that, you know, but it does. It's kind of undermines a concept of what a zombie is, and I think attraction by Kenzo. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is literally the reason. <laughs> I, I like the idea of a zombie. I think the threat in zombies is me is that they're individually they're not massively a threat by themselves. The yeah. threat of a zombie, especially of a Romero zombie, is in a, in mass, um, and yeah. they can't be stopped easily. 
uh, or any of you take that to the next level like they did in uh, Daughter of the Dead 2004, when they run, all of yeah. a sudden they get really fucking scary because one zombie can be, and they're that energetic, one zombie can be a genuine threat. Now you've got thousands of them, and that's that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, this uh, kind of betrays the whole concept of what a zombie is if they can think it, uh, it and wear armor much, and shit. It very much plays fast and loose with any of the schools of zombie where they're either the slow rambling type or the rage infested monkey um, zombie type introduced 28 days later and then generally popularized. It's sort of like, okay, you're picking bits out of this to make your own story, but you are not doing it well. You are not give. You are not explaining any of the reasons why this, why that, why that doesn't happen in this, and why that. And yeah, maybe we're reading too much into it, but it makes the story confusing and uninteresting. And if you're going to go back, go the full Monty. It's like, we did yeah. a bit of this, and I did a bit of that, and I did this and a bit of that, and I never really fully went in all in on any one of these story elements. Yeah. They pick, pick an element and go with it. Um, I, I don't – the plot holes bothered me a lot. Um, there was a particular character who at one point um, is betrayed by the um, Paul Reiser character. Oh, uh, yeah. Literally Burke from aliens uh, <laughs> yeah. is on, on, on the trip as well. Um, and uh, she's betrayed by the Burke character mm-hmm. and she manages to escape and crashes through a window and is being, you know, threatened by zombies. And the entire crew is just like, just over there, like five meters away going, yeah. Oh no, she's getting eaten by zombies. Oh no. And they do nothing and they don't shoot yeah. the zombies. They don't try and grab her and help her. No one does anything. Yeah. And so, like, is any? I couldn't understand why are they not helping her? Um, yeah. it, it, that, they could have just easily just pulled another line from another movie because they kind of do it fairly liberally. And so, like, you fall behind, you left behind. And that's not it's not the tone here because like she's actually no, quite close. Yeah, there's her, no her best friend, boyfriend kind of guy is there, and he's like, "Oh no, my girlfriend's getting eaten by zombies." Oh well, I guess I'll keep going. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, there, there's no. There's no real camaraderie here, and that when when they try and do that, like with um, between uh, Scott Ward and Maria Cruz, there's like that kind of they have a thing, romantic thing, like com- camaraderie for there. So like, no, this just doesn't work. There's no chemistry here. It's just not working. I'm sorry. The only chemistry that really does work is between uh, Vanderhoe and Dieter. And that's, and that's and that's tenuous. Like, yeah, it's and, okay. Yeah, and they lead to another one of the plot holes that really. So I guess that wasn't maybe a plot hole, but it was just something that seemed the characters acting in a way that you wouldn't expect these yeah. characters to act. And okay, they did. Most of these people don't know each other, so maybe you'll take the camaraderie thing for what it is. Hmm. But even then, maybe if you've been some aggro between them, think uh, the yeah. thing. You know, the characters in the thing who hated each other, you know, the, the authority figures and the, the guy who smoked weed, and they were was a bit of aggro there, but yeah. no, they didn't even do that. Nope. Um, but the major plot hole here for me is that the, the Japanese fella asked him to go in and rob or basically take the money from his vault. Mm-hmm. It's his money. No, at no point are we told, it, it, oh, actually, it's not his money. They're robbing the money from somebody else. Mm-hmm. As far as you know, it's his money, his vault. Yep. And yet they have to hire a safe cracker. Yeah. Yeah, because why do you not reasons, have the Travis, reasons. Why do you not have, like, like they've got to walk down the Indy, uh, Indiana yeah. Jones yeah. bloody corridor? The combination corridor. lock is 
One, two, three, three. four, five. It's like some asshole's luggage. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, that makes no sense whatsoever. It's like, okay. They just yeah. need it because the story needs a, a wacky safe cracker to come along and they need yeah. the safe cracking scene. And he wanted that cool scene of a corridor. They're basically yeah. the corridor to the safe is booby traps. Yeah. And they end up luring zombies to walk down the corridor to set off the traps. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. But at the same time, you're thinking, well, how do you get to the safe, mate? When you, you know, how do you... there's got to be a way of turning them off so you can go and get your stuff out of the safe. Yeah. Like, and, and why and do they... you not have a code or a key card? Well, or there, a... There, there is a key card to get to the booby trapped hallway. And it's like, what, seriously? So anyone, like, when, when this casino was running and anyone had to go there, they had to, what, what was the. Process of putting stuff in the safe. Like you've got a key card, a legitimate key card, the boss's key card, and that doesn't turn off the traps. And again, no explanation. Like, oh, you know, like, oh, well, when the power went out, the whole thing went crazy, and all of a sudden, my shit doesn't work anymore. It's one line of dialogue, and all of a sudden, yeah. that scene makes sense about yeah. why you need a safe cracker. He didn't bother putting it in there because he's a terrible writer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then the, the saving uh, that for the Snyder Cut. And yeah, it's it's super disappointing. What did you make of a fake the second ending? I I always th this is the the number one bullet point to annoy George when making a zombie movie, and that is the duration, the time it takes for infestation to happen. It's like why is it so elastic? Sometimes it's instant. Boom, done. Because why we needed that that character that was one of the heroes to turn on them quickly to, to kill off more of them so that we only have this ragtag remaining group. Other times it's like, oh, this person's been bitten, but they're going to keep going for fucking hours. But it takes as long as the script needs it to take, right? Yeah, it's bullshit. Set your universe rules and stick to them when telling a fucking story, please. Um... I basically it one and it didn't make again. It doesn't make any sense. The end of the film doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, they while whilst robbing the safe, Vanderhoe, 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 um, um, Amari Hardwick is mm -hmm. uh, they're attacked and Dieter shoves him into the safe and closes the door so he doesn't get eaten. Yep. Um, and and in sacrificing himself to do so, the whole ticking clock aspect of this film is that the Donald Trump-esque president in the film yeah. is going to drop a nuke on, on Las Vegas in 48, 30 hours or something. Then, of course, oh, no, he's going to drop it now instead. And that time yeah. goes from a day to basically an hour to go. We've got an hour and a half to get out of here. Um, yeah. And so the nuke ends up being dropped on, on, on Vegas. And the fake, the fake second ending is, is him crawling out of a rubble in a yeah. It's nuke. fucking nuked the fridge. Nuked. Las Vegas, yeah. um, and we are not told or shown or explained how we got out of that safe. Yep. So somehow the safe survived a nuclear attack, which is you know, not completely beyond the realms of possibility. It's yeah. probably deep underground. Yeah. But somehow it opened. Yeah. The when we were told, cleared just enough soil above and disrupted the door just enough that he was able to heroically 
And now, remember earlier in the film, we had Dita, one of the only people in the world who needed mm -hmm. 30 minutes or something to crack this safe and was like, if we fuck this up one more time, this safe closes forever. And we've been told all the way through from what an incredible safe door it is and how hard it is and blah, blah, blah. But a nuke just tweaked yeah. it and it opened. Um, so mm -hmm. that bothered me. I'm like, how did he get out of there? Like, okay, we'll buy that. Yep. And then he walks from Las Vegas through yep. a nuclear a nuke Las Vegas yep. to an airport somewhere with all the money from the safe yep. and buys his way into a private jet. Yep. Um, I, I've been to Las Vegas. Um, it's a long way from there to anywhere. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's in the middle of a desert. It's in the middle of a desert. There are places nearby, but not places with private airports, I would imagine, that are still flying. After a nuke had been set off nearby, mm -hmm. you would imagine you would not have you flying aircraft very f close to Las yeah. Vegas if yeah. a nuke has just been set off. I'd imagine you'd have to go quite some way. It's all right, Travis. It was a low yield nuke. Nuke. Okay, well, it's completely low different yield. Then. So uh, this is the thing. Like, in a good film, I maybe I wouldn't worry about this. It'd be like it was fun. I don't care. Yeah. But I was bored shitless by this. Absolutely. Staring at the ceiling, my eyes were rolling at the back of my head, going, fucking finish already. Um, and then he gets on a plane and in parties with some flight attendants and starts to turn into a zombie, which I imagine will be a setup for you know a, a potential sequel or one of the anime things or whatever they're gonna do with it next. Yeah. Um wow, this was really bad. This is I would say that this is Snyder's worst movie. And I would actually agree with you. And that's saying something because I know you like Batman versus Superman, but I really, really didn't. Yeah. Um, I would this... agree that Batman versus Superman was trying to do something interesting. Yeah. He was on he was on the right track with that film. And I just think the execution and the writing really let him down with that film for me. Um, but the whole idea, that idea from Batman, you know, if there's 1% chance he's our enemy, we have to treat it as an absolute certainty. And I love that idea. Yep. Uh, that's a very Batman thing to do. Yeah. Um, so he was on the right track. He just didn't get it right. Um, uh, this one, you, I don't think he was anywhere near the right track. Yeah. This this was kind of, I, I remember when this got announced and it was like, oh, it's going to be his first project since departing the Justice League. And this was, bef this was before the release of the Snyder Cut and all of that stuff. And it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. He's going, it's, it's going to be a smaller budget thing. He's bringing, he's going back to just like a, a fun story that he just wants to tell. He's like, oh no, this is what he chose. He, he's, he's fucking Zack Snyder. He must've had borderline cut blanche to do what he wanted with as much money as he really needed to 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 make it, and this is what he chose. This is this is his movie. This is his chosen movie. His writing. He there wasn't studio interference on the writing. There wasn't production problems beyond having to replace one of the character, uh, one of the people because they were fucking horrible sex pests and could be killed. It that you know he had to deal with. Uh, nothing like what had went on in justice league this was his like okay you know what zach let's just bring you back into making movies again nice and gentle you can do what you like we're, we're going to support you we're going to be good you're going to just you, you do you okay you you be comfortable with you and this is what he came up with 
Right. He's basically given, and this is again, we've talked about it with Nolan last year in Tenet. Every director at some point, there's a balance, right? Yeah. The balance was out of whack with a lot of Warner Brothers shit, you know, that apparently get involved in a lot of stuff they shouldn't get involved with. And, you know, Justice League was one of them, and that really ruined the final product. Yeah. That balance was out of whack with a studio. This is the other way around. This is we now have a director with far too much say, and nobody telling him, Mm, that's not a great idea, Zach. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and all like last year, tenant, someone needed to tell Nolan, you know, do you think it would be great if the audience could hear the film? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you need that imbalance, right? You need a studio who's got yeah. enough gust, guts and, and say so to go, this isn't very good. Could we do better, you know, or take a different direction? And you need, you know, yeah, yeah. a director. And at the same time, enough nows to leave a director alone when they're doing the right things or not get yeah. too involved. Um, someone Zach needed someone to tap him on the shoulder and go, uh-uh. on, mate, this is not yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really annoyingly bad. Yeah. And my my hopes were high. My, I, I was really hoping for him to just come out swinging and just do something really fun, really balls to the wall, just kind of crazy. This is his first film that he has just exclusively been the only writer on since Sucker Punch. And so many people have so many problems with Sucker Punch. And the again, that, that story is kind of derivative of a lot of other things. It's like, okay, Zack Snyder has got a really nice visual style. It's a really compelling visual style. He knows he likes to play with shadow and color and things like that in a way that is very different to a lot of your typical Hollywood Hollywood produced movies and it's nice to have someone speaking a different voice um but he needs to find himself a rising partner that he just gels with and so like yeah we're we're just we're just making jazz man and they, he's not done that he's not done so that some people can get away with for writing directing James Gunn for one yeah Tarantino Chris Nolan yep. to a degree yeah he's not those people he is a no, poor is poor writer yeah. Um, and I was just, my mind was blown by the amount of people who really seem to be enjoying this film. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's got a six on IMDb, which is probably higher than it deserves. Mm-hmm. And that has come down. Uh, last yeah. week it was a seven and a half. Yeah. That was probably just a f- fanboys who, co- who got in early. Uh, yeah. It was, it was released in cinemas a week or so before going in the States before going to Netflix. Oh. Um, that's why we didn't get an invite. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's the only reason, ladies and gentlemen, because everyone <laughs> knows that it's not a red carpet without the armchair producers. And with our doing. masses and masses of followers, it is a yeah. milestone. It's what we passed 3,000 subscribers 3, this week. 3,000 subscribers. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. If you're one of them, thank you. Um, yeah. And, you know, do feel to feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook and, page. And for, for 99% of those subscribers, brick rock, brick rock, rock. You know what I mean. <laughs> uh, that's an old joke. Should we uh, have a commercial break? I think we should. I think we should. We're at the hour. Don't, don't mute me this week. I have some commercials to show, and I'm going to try and get the audio to work this time. So I'm going to <laughs> share my screen uh, over here. One tick. Let me see if I can get this to work this time. Um, this is our second week uh, doing a commercial break, and our mm-hmm. sponsor this week entirely is entirely um, relevant sponsors. Well, our sponsor this week is uh, October 5th, 1992. So um, <laughs> it's a great product. It's a great product. So I'm going to take my – don't – I'm going to share audio. Okay. And let's press play or share it first. Yep, share And it. you need oh, to do your thing. That. You need to do your oh, thing to make it the thing. Uh-uh. And let's play. Uh-uh. 
Nothing satisfies your hunger like the light, crisp, flaky taste of a sailor. The cracker big enough to build a meal on. Back to work, everyone. When sailor comes, the hunger goes. If you can't stand the heat, don't write the book. A war of words. I think that's an enormously arrogant stand, don't you? As the critics slam the power of one. Two out of five. Same for me. Very self-indulgent people. Tomorrow, 6.30. The 1.6-litre Pulsar delivers 20% more power than Corolla or Laser. 10% better fuel economy than both. And now comes with a whopping three-year, 100,000-kilometre warranty. Plus 24-hour roadside assistance. If you want to see what commitment's all about, get into a Nissan dealer now and check out Wheels Car of the Year. The new Nissan Pulsar. Nothing else even comes close. Jackie! I was just reading your letter. I came back early. No, I just ran out of money. Do you want a cup of tea? Oh, I'd love one. When friends drop in from out of the blue... Hey, what about here? I mean, what was that? What better time to share a pot of Bushel's Blue Label leaf tea? <laughs> it was very funny because I've never seen it. Do you want to come? Mm. Yeah, I would. I missed out on sharing something with you. What? Come here. <laughs> you clever friend. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you go to Paris and I get pregnant. You clever friend. Because the nicest moments... It's an odd way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah. If there's one thing Target have learned about kids, it's that you can't stop them being kids. All we can do is make our clothes tougher than the kids. So no matter what your kids do to them, Target Quality Control guarantees they'll live to fight another day. Target's kids' clothes, no matter how tough your kids are, we're tougher. Logo nudity warning. This doesn't get the adrenaline pumping. I don't know what does. Ha! Adelaide loses. Now you can change the colour of your day with an ice cream. Cadbury Ice Cream Crunchy. Made with fresh cream, crunchy pieces of honeycomb, and covered in delicious, thick Cadbury Dairy Milk Chocolate. Cadbury Ice Cream Crunchy. Nine's Big News Game is back, bigger than ever before. Announcing the Big Winner's Game. Over 40,000 prizes valued at over $1 million. $1 million. Studio Village Smoke. World Family Holidays Flying Australian Airlines. Eight prizes <laughs> smoking yet, yet. A sensational Toyota MR2 and two Toyota Celicas. 10,000 double village movie passes and much more. Keep your game card handy. Watch National Nine News and play the Big Winner's Game. <laughs> Don't remember that one. Uh, here we go. It's a uh, thank you to our lovely sponsor, 1992, October 5th, 1992. I have to say, I think 1988 did a better job last week. Even I with, think so. Even yeah. without sound. But um, tune in next week because uh, our sponsor, I believe, at this stage next week 
is uh, going to be uh, from a bit more of George's backyard. Uh, and so it's going to be uh, the UK TV adverts from 1980, July of 1988. So, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good stuff. They will stuff be highly there. relevant, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Very relevant. Um, much like a scratch off news game. Jesus Christ, what was that about? <laughs> oh, no, I got a terrorist attack. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that about? I don't remember like, that. I've one. got news for you. Okay, my God, this bushels advert is creepy. <laughs> the uh, the bushels advert is weird. It's like oh, I came back because I ran out of money. Um, is uh, it's an interesting one. I don't. The whole idea of running out of money on holiday, just turning up on someone's doorstep, like rude, heckin' bloody rude. Like just turn up on someone's doorstep. Not a fan of a drop in. Even if you just come back from from London, you can bloody because you can't send an email, I guess, in 1992. You could have if you'd been really keen, but not really. Um, He's got to try harder. <laughs> need that 42 board modem somehow. Um, should we move on to more relevant things? You were talking about love and monsters, I think, you wanted to uh, say something oh, about. Yeah. Well, did you want to talk about love, sex, and robots? Well, let's start with you, because we haven't learned a lot about me. I know it should mostly be about me, but we need but to give the the audience, There's a reason. We need to give the audience some balance here. And I've seen a lot of stuff around about this, and so I'm curious about your thoughts. So Love and Monsters is a Netflix movie from last year. And they, it seems to be the poster boy genre type movie that Netflix wants to make. Um, very low budget with a couple of faces and names in it that you'll recognize. Um, not too much of a budget or anything like that. Um, but doing a bit of the, that more typical genre fare of sci-fi, horror comedy those kinds of kinds of areas uh so this is uh, for, for for the uninitiated uh seven years after the monster apocalypse joel dawson played by dylan o'brien along with the rest of humanity has been living underground ever since giant creatures took control of the land after recon reconnecting over radio with his high school girlfriend amy played by jessica henwick who was the breakout star of Iron Fist, um, who is now 80 miles away at a coastal colony, Joel begins to fall for her again. As Joel realizes there's nothing left for him underground, he decides against all logic to venture out to Amy, despite all the dangerous monsters that stand in his way. The fun-filled, action-packed adventure also stars Michael Rooker and Ariana Greenblatt. I don't know Ariana Greenblatt, but of course Michael Rooker, best known for his work in James Gunn's films, basically. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is probably where most people are going to know him from. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Mary Poppins guy. I can't remember exactly his character's name now. Um, and you're right, Jessica Henwick was really good in in Iron Fist. I had completely mm -hmm. forgotten about that. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of blacked that series out of <laughs> my memory because uh, <laughs> it was so bad. But she was good mm -hmm. in that. So. Uh, yeah. What did you make of this? It's got a very high rating on IMDb. Yeah, so it's sitting in a 7, um, a 63 on Metacritic. I think that's more or less where it should be because it doesn't try to really do anything new. I do appreciate there is a bizarre certain level of fallout to it. The fact that they're living in colonies underground and it's um, like they, they go out and there's mutant 
insects and creatures now roaming the land. The creature design is quite cool, quite interesting. It's generally based off of just your standard insects, but just kind of giganticized and just slightly mutated. Um, much in a similar kind of vein as a lot of this type of movie that particularly that Netflix likes to do with, um, there was uh, there was a movie by uh, MCG on Netflix called uh, The Babysitter about a group of people who decide that they're going to do the, the, the they're going to use the kids that they babysit for to uh, to as sacrifices and stuff. And there's this kind of like hand drawn kind of um, Spider Man Homecoming style retelling like the character of joel played by dylan o'brien he is a bit of an artist and he's like is making like this guide to surviving the monster apocalypse as he goes to to, to reach amy um and it just kind of very flick book-esque kind of goes through why this has happened and it's actually quite charming he is he is quite a nice nice guy he's a pleasant guy to watch he's endearing um he's not too annoying but there is little element of annoying but it's purposeful for the character development that he goes through that is something that doesn't really happen in army of the dead um he does go through a nice journey and it is all logical and the interactions that he has with people and there's this really nice little scene it's a nighttime scene it's really quite lovely shot um, directed by Ma uh, Michael Matthews, who I don't know any of his work. Um, he's done a movie called Five Fingers for Marseille. Very, very Sweet little, art. basically. Yeah, very, very little. Um, certainly nothing that seems to show like aptitude or previous experience working with um, CGI. And he does it quite nicely. Like There's some action sequences in it that are both comical and chilling um it's th th this particular scene that i'm thinking of it's done in nighttime and it's like this rundown overgrown little location and he finds um a slowly dying um robot aid like this 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 um entity that can kind of still connect to a bit of like what's left of the internet, I guess. And he's able to, he's just having this really nice heart to heart. Like he's not been able to have with anyone else because everyone, as he introduces the movie and introduces his life, everyone in the colony has a job to do. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the cook. I, I'm, I do really good things with baked beans. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's kind of the, the lame duck of this group and he's trying to be useful. And so he's never really built up a relationship with anyone and he manages to get get it with this. And it's just a really nice little scene that is just heartfelt and beautifully shot. It just looks really lovely. It's really well played. It's nicely written. It's a little bit sappy, but it's, it's, it's overall earned at that point, I think. Um, as he's traveling, he meets the characters of Clyde, played by Michael Rooker, and Minnow, who's Ariana Greenblatt. And they are kind of people that just seem to successfully live off the land and they kind of do a little bit of training and teaching him how to kind of just survive, basically, because he hooks up with them for a certain amount of time and then he branches off. It works 
nicely. Just everything about it is pretty good. I mean, it's when he gets to this other colony, everything kind of goes in. Seen this um, a few times, like the, the 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 character plot twists and things like that. It's like, yeah, that was gonna be kind of obvious, but it's still kind of enjoyable. Every character is enjoyable to watch. Even um, I'm not sure if he's actually Australian. Oh, he is. He's from Manly, New South Wales. Dan Ewing. Uh, he plays the character Cap. And he's like the captain of a ship that's um, docked near where Amy's colony is, and um, he's he's a charlatan. Not gonna lie, not gonna you know, I'm not gonna even bother with the spoilers. But he's he plays it nicely, he plays it well, and the way that he utilizes the people and things, it's like okay, that's kind of cool. It's it's obvious, but it still works well. So I, I think sitting at a 7, 7.5 is probably quite fair for this. This is a good movie to just sit back and just not really think about. Um, but at the same time, it's enjoyable. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a better than a lot of the Netflix movies that come out. Um, it's the style of movie that is very open. It's not aggressively violent or vicious language or anything like that. It's quite open. Um, not for young kids, but for thirteen-year-olds like and upwards, they'd probably really love this because it's it's got a bit of a love story. Um, the the protagonists are supposed to be sort of like twenty-two-ish, something like that. So, they but they they've grown up in a world where they've not had an opportunity to be young kids, and they've had this pressure put on them. So their kind of development and understanding is like okay, that's a that's a little different. It's 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 a it's a well well done piece, and it's you know it's only an hour and fifty minutes long, and it doesn't feel like it. It uses that time well. That's what, that's what you want. This is the opposite yeah. of Army Within. Yeah, absolutely. But it plays it well. It uses the environment and to to tell story as well as to inform the story. It's not just kind of exposition dump character reaction exposition that character reaction there, there is a back and forth between it and it makes organic sense this is not trying to tell the most complex story in the world this is not war and peace this is nothing like that it is just trying to tell the story of a boy wanting to meet a girl in a monster apocalypse <laughs> and it's <laughs> it does that it, it does what it sets out to do and it does it that's well. what it says in the box movie. yeah so, and I mean, uh interestingly shot in australia Mm. which would explain the presence of a few australian actors in here mm. Mm. but um yeah it's it's really it's really charming that's it that sounds like a vote of confidence yeah i i i actually really quite enjoyed it and i'm so, as a cynical curmudgeon yes um would you recommend it to me as your cynical curmudgeon self i'm always no. a cynical curmudgeon like you know that's yeah like yeah yeah that's that's <laughs> i bet you don't go into any of the musicals that you've watched as a cynical curmudgeon you've gone uh, in there absolutely i've, got, I've gone in with free tickets usually mm -hmm. sure 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 look look free tickets are one thing but you have done this for musicals many times I would say it's it's worth giving it a try. If you don't like the first 15 minutes of it, 
bounce because it sets its kind of tone and style very early and it just like yep this is the kind of thing we're going for a little bit of a peak a little bit of a trough here and there but nothing egregious if you don't like it after 15 minutes just bounce there you go love yeah. and uh monsters and talking about love mm -hmm. let's go on to love death and robots not love, love sex and, and robots and robots which is yeah. in the intro which is a completely different series and um <laughs> I, I've heard, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't know where to find that kind of thing. I just, you know, there were some kids behind the, behind the shelter sheds and they were smoking. It's called the internet. The internet. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, they surely better. Apparently they have the internet on computers now. Um, no. <laughs> love, Dev and Robots. We were mm. huge fans of season one. So yes, what is it? Were. It is a series, uh, a collection of animated short stories spanning various genres, including science fiction, fantasy, horror, and comedy. Mm -hmm. Season one, it is uh, it was created by Tim Miller, mm -hmm. probably best known for it was uh, Deadpool. Deadpool. Um, and I think he might have been behind Terminator Dark Fate, but you don't mention yeah. the war. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think you got away with it. Uh, season one had a lot more episodes. This is a very uh, short season. This one, we got one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven episodes. Mm. It's eight episodes a season, but they are very, very short. We're talking yes. 15, 20 minutes, I think, is sort of Max, what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, and each one, it they are not a collected story. It's not like one story told in, in eight different parts. Each one mm -hmm. is a self contained short film. Mm -hmm. well. What did you make of season two? I had I after finishing volume two, I decided to go back and start rewatching volume one again because my memories of it were fantastic, and I don't think I watched it since finishing it. Um, because I feel like this was a lot more hit or miss, and there was just artic artistic stylists. Um, they went very realistic with a lot of their animated style for most of their products to the point where they even have a live action one with um uh what's his name uh michael b jordan in it and i kind of felt like mm, i don't think it's as good as the first volume and i think i stand by that having gone back and rewatched um the first few episodes of volume one sonny's edge three robots and the witness in particular i really 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 enjoyed those ones um i really loved the silliness but also the having worked in customer service for so long the just the interactions with automated customer service and just I, her talking on the phone. I think that might have been my favorite episode of the season. Yeah. Uh, and I'm shocked that uh, the uh, the rating on IMDb is 6.5. Yeah. Um, second episode I can kind of get because that felt like a oh, second mm -hmm. episode. Oh, it's kind of an acquired taste. Yeah. Um, but it's on a level with like it, it's, you know, one of the bottom three sort of yeah. um, episodes of a season according to people's ratings. I mean – um yeah and i was just what i thought it was brilliantly hilarious i'm like this so good this setup deserves a feature yeah yeah this is almost like the 
anti wally or something like that. So I'm like, oh, it's it's breaking its own protocols. And just the commentary coming through from the customer service um automated uh, the voice <laughs> it's like oh you have activated the you have activated the intruder mode what you'll need to do is fight for your life now but yeah <laughs> it's like oh you avoided the warranty <laughs> it was it was really nicely done the animation's very very good too it's very stylized mm -hmm. but i mm -hmm. i enjoyed it i enjoyed that episode immensely um, mm. and i guess that can really set you off like i mean the animation mm. styles are so different yeah. um if you look at ice like a completely different style of animation mm. which is from episode one to episode two yeah um i still thought it was all right um i, I think I, the I, art style was really good but i just i think the story was quite quite up to the art style again some interesting ideas yeah um and yeah, not quite where you want. I was surprised the highest rated episode of the season is Pop Squad, um, which is the third episode. In yeah. a future where resources are controlled by the rich, unregistered offspring are forbidden by the state, a, mm -hmm. rich, a police officer charged with enforcing population control faces a crisis of conscience. Mm. Um, and he's voiced by the great Nolan North in this episode, so I guess yep. it's notable for that yeah other than to say that like the animation was beautiful um yes. it, i enjoyed the animation style of this immensely having watched um a animated masterpiece recently for the throwback available now on spotify mm -hmm. um sure. Having, sure. having watched the uh the care bears movie recently on um <laughs> for that show it was um uh, it was it was quite a quite a thing to to go back to an animated series of such high quality. Mm. Uh, just to record, we recorded the, the episode the other night for the um, uh, Care Bear movie. Um, the Care Bear review review episode of the throwback was recorded this week, and considering we muted it after about fifteen minutes because it was so annoying, it proved an interesting challenge. And I may or may not have had to resort to reading a list of euphemisms for sexual intercourse just to pad the episode out a little bit. <laughs> so look out for that one. That's a high quality episode coming your way. Um, but I found the, like I said, I like the, um, the animation of Popscore, but I found a story mm -hmm. deeply unoriginal. We've seen that a lot of different times. Um, yep. It's all for Fahrenheit 451, mm -hmm. you know, um, the Fortress, the freaking Christopher Lambert film from the 90s had a similar storyline. Yes, yes it did. Um, it's, I mean, I guess you don't have to be super original in this, in this world. I'm like, there's mm. nothing we haven't seen before. Mm. I do appreciate the direction. Um, and this just, I was just looking into it, and it's uh, Jennifer U. Nelson, who kind of really rocketed to success because of um, she was the director of Kung Fu Panda 2. She was one of the first female directors to, I think that movie ended up making close to a billion dollars or something worldwide. And she was one of the first female directors to to, to do that. Um, and she she crafted a really good story, actually, in Kung Fu Panda 2. It sounds weird, but I did appreciate the subtlety and the actual nuance of the character interactions between um, Detective Briggs, Alice, Eve, everyone involved. It was actually really, it was really well shot for, for an animated, for an animated sequence. It was, it was really quite beautiful. Um, just, it wasn't a particularly unique story. That's the only problem that I had with it. I feel like it was kind of, 
almost a bit like a, a teaser for some a game that Naughty Dog would make. And so like, okay, mm. we've done we've done the zombie kind of thing with The Last of Us. We've done the action adventure thing with uh, Uncharted. Let's do this a, a dystopia after you know. Yeah, let's let's do a sci-fi dystopia. And it just it looks like a lot of the stuff that you get in Last of Us 2, that kind of really beautiful kind of borderline uncanny valley kind of feel with the with the um the the, the animation of the people but it was like wow this is a fully rich realized world they have put everything onto this world and onto the I, screen I, I could see all that but i guess i just didn't it was fine it was good it was it was certainly a, a, a good solid episode and certainly probably in yeah. the upper third of it it's like I don't know, it's fine i guess i've yeah. seen it so I preferred, I think, probably my highlight of the uh, series was the tall grass. Um, oh, yeah, that was pretty damn freaking pretty creepy. Yeah. It did yeah. remind me of a Stephen King movie about a bunch of people who got stuck in the grass that I can't remember mm. the name of, which I, we were reading the show last year, I think. Um, but it had a kind of a Lovecraftian yeah. sort of vibe to it. I Yeah, yeah, it was I, – I, I just loved the – the animation was really cool because it was – almost when, when everything was frozen when, if you were to just pause it it looked like cell shaded artwork it was just beautiful um and the just the the story it was it was so lovecraftian after lovecraft country i went and i listened to tons of lovecraft short stories and this is quintessential love lovecraft style he, he has no there's no lovecraft credit by the way in the writing mm. here so i don't think yeah. it's a direct but um yeah. I, I see the influence i enjoyed yeah. that one probably it was very creepy i also yeah. the santa one was probably actually very through the house that was cool uh, that was cool because it was like uh a, a few times you've seen people try and do horror and christmas together yeah um, it doesn't really work uh like santa claus c-l-a-w-s is oh, a no, no, starring no, bill no. goldberg um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i just love love that whole thing because it just flowed so naturally and the ending was just mwah, perfect it's just the kids lying there it's like what would have happened if we were not good it's just perfect it's, perfect way to end it i i really enjoy short films and i'm so mm. glad they're getting a, a run here and i'm with you i think season one was probably better mm. but i still think this is good Yes. Very good. Yeah, uh, I kind of wish it had been longer. Um, yep. but you know, I guess maybe we can blame the uh, the unknown virus of unspecified origin mm -hmm. for that. Um, but it, it, I enjoy the way that someone can tell a really fully fleshed out story in ten minutes. Mm -hmm. We we just went through a two and a half hour story a few minutes a little while ago, and he didn't come close to telling a fully fleshed out story in it. And that yeah. kind of, I feel like that that shortness where you got, sorry, mate, you've got 15 minutes to tell this story. Yeah. Yeah. And it costs a million dollars a second or something stupid. I don't know, but a million dollars a minute or something to, to tell your story because you're using very expensive animation yeah. com computers here. Like, you know, that imposes a degree of discipline on someone yeah. to tell your story in a, in, in a particular fashion that gets to the point. Yeah. Uh, and, di and disciplined and, you know, talented it was well, i can't do the exact word you know uh, concise efficient is the word i'm looking for yeah. efficient way is is i love it they have that discipline imposed upon them um, absolutely uh, even oh, if okay. we haven't talked about snow in the desert and he does it perfectly um yeah. snow in the desert is is a, a science fiction action story mm -hmm. 18 minutes long 
again, you could definitely see how someone could turn that into a feature with a bit of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even you could even attach it to any number. You could turn it. You could retitle it and call it Star Wars Obi Wan Kenobi or something. I don't know. And you could tell they're really different, which they're doing, by the way. Um, yeah, well. but, but you could you could you could very easily turn this into a genre piece, uh, you know, with any kind of IP you Absolutely. want on top of it. And and he tells a really brilliant story in, in eighteen minutes. We care about these characters. Yeah, yeah, and it's not only is it that emotional engagement, but the fight sequences are cool, and it's sort of like, all right, that's that's actually it, it's thrilling. It gets the heart pumping because you've got that connection with the characters because they're interesting, compelling characters, and everything. It's it's um, kind of frame budgeting. If, if frame efficient budgeting is like okay we're we're going to put everything onto that because it's going to cost us a million dollars to make three seconds of this so we have got to use every fucking pixel and every line of dialogue and every single moment of silence your script has to be fucking right yeah to start with <laughs> you don't you don't finish it while you're doing it and go uh I don't like that scene now we have to do it again and go mate that's 15 million dollars you're throwing away there and we've got you know you know we don't have a we don't have an endless pile of money you know i like like lucasfilm do or you know arguably zack snyder's zack snyder's film by the way only cost 90 million dollars so um that's actually quite cheap but um for a for a you know, Snyder movie yeah yeah um but you 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 kind of need your ducks in a row before you start maybe that's an, an animation thing as well because it's yeah. not easy to go back and then change something or you can't just reshoot it yeah, like, you know, it takes a while. Some some with some of these things to actually. I don't. I have no idea how quick and easy it would be to change something like that with animation. I imagine it's difficult. So yeah. uh, I'm really glad this is a thing. I mm-hmm. hope there's a season three. Mm-hmm. I um, uh, it, if nothing else, it's an interesting place. To, I mean, it must be like an interesting calling card for these these filmmakers to actually you know get their names on yeah out there and people see their shit. Yeah. And it's, I hope that um, they are, that Netflix producers are smart enough to kind of go, all right, we've got these people. We're giving them a little bit of money. This is a test bed. We can, we can start finding some fresh new talent and fresh new creative people to do other things. It's like, oh, fuck, that short story became really good. Hey, what can we spin out of this? Can we get a feature film? Can we get a miniseries? Can we get an ongoing series? What? What? And using it as a kind of homegrown talent contest, that would I would be so happy with that. It's funny that I was thinking about this recently. This is a bit off topic, but there was a TV show here in the late '90s called Race Around the World. Mm. Um, I don't know if they had, had in any other countries. I'm fairly sure it was invented here. And um, what it was, it had ten young budding filmmakers were mm. given a video camera and basically an open-ended plane ticket. And every week, I think it was a weekly thing, they actually had to fly somewhere and shoot a documentary, edit it, and deliver it in a week. Shit. In 1999, so early days of the internet, that might sound easy these days, but, you know, given the tech at the time. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting. So you had 10 or so every week short films that were made, you know, short sort of five-minute documentaries or films that were made um, mm. by these filmmakers from different parts of the world. And quite a bit of talent has come out of that. Um, particularly, um, there was a, a show recently on the ABC. It was called it called Exposed. Last year they did a. Okay. Every year they did, they, um, they did a special this year expose on the 
1970, 1980 or whatever it was, the, the Lunar Park, Sydney Lunar Park fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I highly, if, you, if you're an Australian, it's on iView, highly recommend it if you didn't see it. Basically, this thing got written off as an accident. It was, if you follow the documentary, it was almost certainly a murder. A bunch okay. of kids, a bunch of kids died in the ghost train in Sydney, Lunar Park, and it was almost certainly a deliberately lit fire. Um, but it got brushed under the carpet. And so anyway, one of the, the person who won that series was a producer on that show. And I hadn't, I saw her name in the credits. I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen her name for 20 years. And so if you go digging around through them, quite a number of them have gone on to have quite high profile careers. Not, I mean, there's John Safran, who you might've heard of. I know he, John Safran, yeah. He had a, a few TV shows that were very popular here. He ended up hosting uh, a bunch of radio shows that were very popular and now mm-hmm. writes books, which is very reasonably popular, I believe, as well. Uh, at one point, they were trying to sell him in America as the Australian Borat. Didn't work. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, again, like, he's a very high, reasonably high-profile talent. Like, the only reason he got his start was out of this show on the ABC, um, even though he didn't win. Um, he came second last, actually. Um, because they refused to show one of his documentaries. They said it was unethical. Um, I think okay. he, broke in, he broke into Disneyland or something. Oh, no, that's right. Um, <laughs> no, he did, he did break into Disneyland. That was the, um, the episode they refused to show. He, um, he decided to play up um, tabloid TV. So okay. um, was that that show? I can't remember. He, was, he certainly got in a lot of trouble because he, he, he ended up staking out Ray Martin's house, Ray Martin being one of our – yeah, the most best known tabloid journalists in Australia at the time. He hosted a current affair. Okay. Um, and they would have stories on about like doll bludging youngsters. Um, and so he staked out his house and went through his garbage. Um, <laughs> and, um, and he got in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, but anyway, he didn't win. But it was sort of, sorry, I'm a long way off topic, but it goes to show something like that. A little TV show from 20 years ago has discovered mm-hmm. given a kickstart to a lot of talent. Yeah. So a show like this could do the same. And yeah. if anyone from Netflix listening, please, pretty please, I would like a free robot series now, please. Yeah. I also think it's a, a great possibility for established directors to play in a new medium. For example, I would actually be interested to see Zack Schneider take on one of these because he's done animation before, Legend of Gahul, um, which is generally well received um but that time economy and it's going okay you can you can you've only got 18 minutes to tell your story that's it do it or done and it's like just giving that challenge it's like okay let's let's see what you do and an opportunity to kind of work with someone else as a writer i think that Uh, might teach him a few things I'd not hold my breath. Well, he's, he's going to do animation. Like I said, apparently you're playing an anime series based on, on Army of the Dead. So, um, there yeah, there I think it's going to be like four hours long and, you know, lots of slow-mo. <laughs> um, Joke's on us. Everything uh, has been slow-mo. Oh, maybe that's how Army of the Dead should be watched in half speed. Good lord, well, that'd be a director's cut. Uh, I think I, I think I posted it on Facebook. Is there going to be a Snyder cut of his film? Because this this cut sucks. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's a, I, I think it's well worth it if you have Netflix mm-hmm. and you haven't watched season one. Enter, you've got a treat. Um, you, you can burn it all in an afternoon, easy. Yep. And that's the annoying part because it takes forever to make, but it's yeah. it's quality stuff. I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. Now uh, the series as a whole. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, I want you to tell me about A Quiet Place 2. Yes, I went to the cinema on Saturday night, and I didn't realize until I jumped onto the website and bought my ticket. It was $5 night. It was basically $5 a week at the, at the kino in the city here. Um, and apparently everybody else was on board with this thing mm-hmm. except me because it was chock-a-block. It was full or almost full. We were talking before we got in there. It wasn't Endgame full. Like Endgame full was where you and I were literally in the front row like like this. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um. And, uh, you know, it was literally not – you couldn't get a, not a spare seat in a cinema mm-hmm. in the entire city to see that film. But it was pretty full. The first couple of rows were empty, but it was it was as busy as a cinema as I've seen since COVID um, trying to shut us all down. Uh, and you made a good point. There's not been a lot of films since then that kind of draw that audience in. So mm-hmm. I feel like a $5 movie night plus a fairly fondly remembered first film is, is doing it, mm-hmm. um, doing it here. And I think we opened well before the States on this one, so we got ahead of them. Quiet Place 2, which follows on from, funnily enough, A Quiet Place. <laughs> the John Krasinski uh, directed, written, starring sci-fi thriller, drama, horror film. It's all those sorts of things. Yep. Um, caveat to begin with, I saw A Quiet Place, when did that come out, 2018? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, 2018. Yeah. Um, I saw it. After it came out, I didn't. I didn't. It didn't blow my mind. I thought it was fine. It was fine. Um, you know, I surprised to see John Krasinski pop up in these little places mm-hmm. um, instead of One Division, which is what we were all. T- well, I was tipping. Miss <laughs> um, Fox and Bean knows what I'm talking about. We were tipping John Krasinski um, mm-hmm. as Mr. Fantastic, but um, he is in a Marvel universe apparently. Um, but I didn't blow me away, and I haven't really thought about it since. Yeah. Um, this film basically starts off the the opening uh, sort of a preamble of this film, for want of a better term, is um is basically the 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 start of the uh, well spoilers for the first film here by the way people uh, the start of the alien invasion that you know the this, the first film um uh, you know very very during during the first film we learn about what it looked like. And mm. we see John Krasinski and co, you know, with the alien spaceships landing and cool shit happening. And that's mm-hmm. a cool start. But here's the problem. I completely forgotten what happened in the first film. <laughs> like, I had completely erased it from my memory somehow. I remember there were aliens. I remember John yeah. Krasinski was in it. And everybody had to be quiet all the time because they could hear really well. Mm. The aliens was, are just uh, librarians. Pretty much. You know, come on and go, shh. Uh, like that ghost of Ghostbusters, the first one. Um, <laughs> but I, I had comp- somehow completely blanked out the rest of his film from my memory. Um, so again, if you haven't seen the first film and do not want to know anything about it, I'm gonna tell some stuff. I just can't talk about this film without talking about the first one. Five, four, three, two, one. I'd completely forgotten that John Krasinski died in the first film. Mm-hmm. Um, so interestingly, the opening of this film is at a baseball game. John Krasinski's there watching his kid, and sitting right behind him, I'm like, "Is that Killian Murphy?" Uh, and I'm like, "Oh, it is Killian Murphy." Is it pronounced Killian or Cillian? I've never been quite sure. Killian. Uh, Killian. Um, and I'm like, "Oh, okay. He's quite a big star in, to be in this film. He's obviously he wasn't in the first one." Um, hmm. 
okay, it's weird. He's sort of just standing sitting behind him, and there's a couple of lines in the opening bit, and you're like, okay, um, he's obviously going to be a bit more of a character in this one because you don't have big stars like that and not hmm. sad cameos like that. And then um, we have the the opening of a film, which is, as I said, the alien invasion and the beginning of John Krasinski and his family getting away. Uh, and that's pretty done, done nicely, except that then we cut, that's like, you know, a flashback. And then we cut to the present day, if you will. And mm. this film, the film after that picks up directly after what happened at the end of the first film. Mm-hmm. And I'm spending the next 10 minutes going, hmm, when are they going to bring Trin Krasinski back on screen? I wonder what he's doing when his family's running around doing all this shit. And very slowly, <laughs> they realize. Oh. Thank you for listening to Armchair have, Producers. Uh, we die at the end of the first podcast one. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. I still don't remember what happened time. at the end of the first one. I we appreciate no memory support. of it. Other than Thank just you for, for context, you've kind of gone, and if you'd oh, like I guess he died at the end of the first one. Please no one seems very sad about that. Slash the fried um, where you can but okay. Also donate um, to us, as well as watching us live on YouTube.com slash Fried Brain Productions or Facebook.com slash Fried Brain I think you're going to have a much better time with this film if you remember what happened in the first one so if you don't maybe use a catch a, a youtube someone on youtube probably has a catch-up or watch the mm. film again because the stuff that happens in this they have a way i guess of fighting the monsters now the aliens okay. um which i think they must have figured out at the end of the first film <laughs> i don't remember um because i just know it at the start of this film i just start doing this thing which gives them a way to uh, to, to damage the, the or, or attack and fight it's them using the aliens and um it's by no means foolproof but it's a way of taking you know getting the game with them and i'm like yeah. oh i guess they just seem to know it so i'm like that must have been from the last one and again i just don't have any memory of it so this all this all kind of put me offside a little bit and i was kind of spending a lot of time trying to figure out how we got to here because i've forgotten if you're mm. not like me you're probably going to be ahead of the game and go oh yeah no i'm enjoying this a lot more not that i wasn't enjoying it it's fine it's it's another basically, you know, we're here, we need to get to there, and then we need to get from there to this to pick up this thing to do the other thing in order to get to the other place to do the thing. Oh no, fetch quests. A little bit. Um, it's a little bit like that. Um, and there's lots of characters who are running upstairs instead of going out the back door, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. to use the scream analogy. Um <laughs> the characters who are doing stupid shit that they should never do and would probably never do, but the script needs it to needs them to do it so the movie can happen. Yeah. Um, and so if you're easily annoyed by stupid film characters like I am, well, you know, just be aware of it because, and, and, you know, it wasn't too bad. I mean, the mm. kids in it are pretty good. Um, uh, they're the same ones from the first film. So we have Millicent Simmons playing Reagan and Noah Jupp playing Marcus. Uh, we have Emily Blunt again playing Evelyn. And, yeah, she's fine. Yeah, the kids kind of feel, seem like the kids seem to take more of a lead role here, with, along with Killian Murphy kind of stepping into John Krasinski's series. He doesn't play John Krasinski's character. But he's on the, <laughs> the, the male protagonist. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, they, they had that face-off scene at the end of the last film. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he, he steps up and there's some interesting to see some, speaking of people who don't actually like big names who just start but turn up and do stuff like Jimon Honsu. I'm probably pronouncing Jimon it. Hansu, yeah. Jimon Honsu, yeah. Jimon he plays a, a character. He just pops up at the end of a film. You're like, oh, I know you. You're in, you're that guy. 
um, <laughs> things. He's, he's a familiar face. He was in he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's, he's in, in Gladiator. Know. He was yeah. uh, Papa Midnight and Constantine. Uh, he's in lots of stuff. Um, mm. He's been around a while. Yeah. Um, uh, Scoot McNary pops up in this as like a bad guy. Okay. Um, for about five minutes, and you're like, ah, oh, okay. He's not a super big name, but he's done some stuff, right? Like he was he was quite prominent again in, in Snyder's DC films. So um, <laughs> yeah. um, I dig there. He was. He was the guy in the wheelchair. He blows yes. up Congress. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit weird to see these kind of things. It's a little bit mm. bigger, a little bit louder, a bit of a bigger budget this time. Yeah. Um, it's it. Yeah, if you liked the first one, you'll like this one. I think it's okay. It's It's fine. It is okay. what it is. Uh, I, I said I didn't really actually. I said I never loved the first one. That's why I don't remember it that mm. well. Yeah. But um, I just needed something to see on a Saturday night, and it was this or or, or something, you know. Or the uh, the Angelina yeah. Jolie movie where she plays a firefighter, and I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, it's got a good rating to a seven point seven on IMDb. It's got a seventy four Metacritic. I'm I feel like I'm being overly harsh on it. I'm not saying it was bad. Like I said, if you go in and you know exactly what happened at the end of the last film, you're going to be ahead of me. You're going to have probably mm. have a great time. But it's very tense. The tension's yeah. very nice. So some 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 scenes are done really well. Um, and you know, if you have a high tolerance for annoying, stupid characters, then you'll do better than me. <laughs> but it sounds sounds very much like successful sequel of more of what you probably already liked. Pretty much. I don't think Krasinski wanted to do a sequel until someone browbeat him into doing it. And yeah. most people, just what most sequels are, it's more of what got, was so successful last time. It's what people wanted. And, yeah. you know, this isn't exactly, you know, war and peace or anything particularly meaningful. It's a mm-hmm. science fiction horror film. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, just do what you did last time with a bigger budget um, in a slightly, just change the name states and places, you know, you're going to copy my homework, just change it enough so people don't notice. Yeah. Um, and it's and okay. You're copy- copying your own homework. It's fine. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it just does what it does. And it's, yeah, it doesn't need to, doesn't try to be anything. It's not, it doesn't overstay. It's welcome. It's in there. It's our 37 minutes, Mr. Snyder. Um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't overstay. It's welcome. It knows exactly what it is, what it needs to do. It gets in, does it, gets out. I feel like this uh, this movie has kind of gained a bit more traction overall because it was one of the one of the first big movies to be knocked around by the COVID lockdown and things like that. Because this was supposed to come out last year, early last year, I think, and then they kind of looked at it and went, "Ah, oh, maybe we could push it a little closer to Oscar contentions." Like, oh no, there's a pandemic. Let's pull it back. Let's pull it back. Uh, we don't know when to release this now. Um, a little bit like but- James Bond, huh? Yeah, yeah. Who knows when that's going to bloody come out? Because um, rumor is that Amazon are trying to buy MGM, which is the the studio that houses the Bond franchise. But Eon Productions, who are like the 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 Broccoli family, who have been the stewards of uh, 007 since day dot, since Doctor No basically get half of everything and they have full control over literally every part they essentially just make these movies get someone else to buck up half of the um the production cost and then take half back it's like yep that's how we do business and they ain't gonna want to change that 
the uh, the yes, and if you just want the uh, I imagine they wouldn't uh, come cheap. Yeah, uh, yeah. With the, uh, they wouldn't be looking to sell that bond property anytime soon. One would imagine. Yeah, yeah. well, um, I mean, the the bond um, kind of uh, the bond brand was part of the reason why we didn't have any James Bond um, movies for so long was because it was part of a huge fucking mess between MGM and Sony about the rights of Bond and Spider Man, and they were kind of backing and forwards and saying oh no but we own a certain percentage of spider-man we own a certain percent of james bond so no one was allowed to make either of those movies for ages and then so, like scripts for bonds were being released and like the script for the first triple x movie with vin diesel was a retooled james bond script which is weird to think about um and then eventually they kind of went all right sony you're not really making any money tell you what if we give you this spider-man rights you give us the bond rights and we'll be happy and yeah that all worked out great for everyone didn't that <clears throat> well um it's a complicated one because it's been sitting on a shelf for a while um mm -hmm. mm, it's interesting to see what they do with it i mean everyone else is kind of even marvel's taking the plunge mm -hmm. warner brothers have taken the plunge a fair shit yep what yep. will they do how much longer is they going to leave it sitting on the shelf and not sell it to streaming or just yeah do something with it um like maybe they think it's timeless i don't know or maybe they just they're so worried about what the fuck is it didn't look good <sighs> not really well not really inspired at the very least it didn't look bad it looked like a typical bond movie as well all right it had a lot of that um it seemed to have a lot of that gender politics sort of baked in there you know the whole idea of um the female 007 being yeah. possibly a controversial idea and yeah. um the the fact it was written by phoebe waller bridge um mm -hmm. or script doctored i don't know she actually got a writing credit yeah um so yeah and she's kind of and, well known for that kind of putting an angle into film yeah. so i think there are a few people there's a there's a lot of that that's kind of it's missed that it's zeitgeist window of that like because of covid and nothing being made like billy eilish was one of the biggest names on the planet and it's been a year and no one's really been able to do much and it's like i don't know i don't really hear people yammering for billy eilish anywhere near as much as what they used to now people have gone back to their old faithfuls and like the even though they are still incredibly relevant and important the sort of like the 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 feminist movements that we have had and the the me too movements and everything like that it's all kind of taken a backstage because a global pandemic happens so it's like oh i wonder if this movie's going to feel strangely dated when it does come out <laughs> if it had um, come out when it was supposed to would it have been more impactful and more socially conscious but maybe um it's you know it's also got so remy malik is in this as the bad guy yeah. i think from memory and yeah his kind of star has i wouldn't say faded but it's it's dulled a little bit considering bohemian rhapsody is quickly receding into our memories um yeah. and he hasn't done anything since bohemian rhapsody that sticks out as it makes him a big star not to say yeah. i love we love we love remy we love yeah. mr robot we were remy fans before yeah everyone else i must say i do enjoy the imdb page for no time to die yeah. uh currently in the section it says uh box office and we yep. have a budget of $250 million estimated for this film. 
which is a lot for a Bond yeah. film, I would think. Yeah. Cumulative worldwide gross, $456. <laughs> who, who's seen this film that they've managed to gross 400 bucks? Like, I don't know. Um, they, they, they like, it doesn't even qualify for test screenings because they don't charge for those. Maybe they had a premiere somewhere and they, they, they just like made someone pick up a bar tab, they pick up Daniel Craig's bar tab or something, and they're like, that'll do. We'll put that against the film. I think if it if it's just accidentally never gets released, that would technically make it the biggest bomb of all time. This is a, a – by the way, this film, according to INDB, Mm. Has a two-hour, forty-three-minute runtime. Oh, so be fifteen minutes longer than in uh, Army of the Dead, which felt very long, and it's almost a three-hour. I, I, I don't have any. Like, I'm not a massive. I'm not a massive Bond fan, so maybe I'm not the right person to talk about this. I thought Skyfall was fine. Mm-hmm. I know everyone wet their pants about it. I thought it was mm-hmm. fine, uh, but. Two, I've never felt like Bond needed three hours. This is a message to all producers out there in the world. Don't push the time limit longer thinking, oh, it's going to make it more meaningful and important and socially conscious. No, just use the time you need to tell the story. Otherwise, you're sitting there going, mm, well, Bond is still at the bar deciding if he wants it shaken or unshaken because he has problems too. This, You are falling into fucking Ed Wood scenarios here, people. Don't You, you can tell a nice, short, concise story. Love, death, and robots absolutely proves that point all of the fucking pixar animated shorts prove that just use use your time use the time that you need to to tell the story and if it goes over two hours then consider doing it as a fucking miniseries please in fairness the three of his bond films were around two hours 25 two hours 30 so casino royale skyfall um one of the other ones uh sorry spectre we're oh, all yeah. around the two hour, 22 and a half hour. Quantum of Solace was an hour 46. Um, so this is around 15 minutes longer than any of the Bond films previously, which, I mean, I don't know what that's going to mean, but mm. my goodness, I hope you've got one hell of a story yep. if you need two hours and 43 minutes to tell it in. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we're rounding out the sh- the show, and that's the end of it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for sticking with us for, for a packed show. We did talk a lot, actually. Um, but this has been episode 114 of the Armchair Producers. We talked about our chain movie of the week, The Spanish Prisoner, and I have picked next week's chain movie, which is the 2001 Ridley Scott-directed, David Mamet-written Hannibal, um, we talked a little bit about the Eternals trailer. We talked about the Army of the Dead from Zack Snyder on Netflix. Um, we had our sponsors from 1992. Thank you very much to them. We expect to check in the post. Uh, a cashier's check. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> or a postal tra- order. Tra- tra- travel checks. Thank you. Travel checks. Thank you. Yes. Or a postal order. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, we also I talked about Love and Monsters on Netflix, we talked about Volume 2 of Love, Death and Robots not Love, Sex and Robots that is a different thing <laughs> and Travis talked about A Quiet Place 2 so 
that has been our show for you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everyone who um, I saw a couple of people who are actually watching us live. Thank you very much. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, share. Yeah. One of the uh, downloaders of one of the th one of the thousands and thousands of um, subscribers, you too can watch the show live. It's uh, seven thirty ish Australian Eastern Standard Time. If that's mm -hmm. you no know, good for your uh, for, for your you're got to be at the you know, uh, Moscow subway at that time mm -hmm. of the morning. Yep. Uh, you can go back and watch episodes later on Twitch or the YouTube's. Yep. Um, some people I know have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've managed to convince them. Um, uh, they, they, they I actually had someone who um, interviewed me for a job just said, oh, yes, um, I I saw on your CV that you do a podcast, so I downloaded it and listened to it. Like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh, leave that up for resume. Why um, did you do that? <laughs> so, yeah, if you, uh, if you like the, the, you know, the, the visual side of things, then mm -hmm. you can check us out that way. Jump on mm -hmm. the Facebook page, like the Facebook page. Fried Brain is look for the Fried Brain. Fried Brain Productions on Facebook. Fried Brain right. Productions on Facebook. Uh, Twitch.tv slash uh, the Fried Brain on Twitch. Um, where you can also actually sub uh, subscribe to us and donate. You can use your Amazon Prime account if you've got that linked to Twitch. You can use your Twitch Prime account to um, so, uh, subscribe to us. Doesn't really do anything, but it's nice to. Give show your support in some way, shape, or form. Um, and yeah, youtube.com slash Fryburn Productions. And on that note, on that note, good night. Good night.